Hello, Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 172 of RPG Digest. I am John Max Leoshlo, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge. Along with me, as usual, is insert snarky comment here, Brett Heathen Dog Grissomer. How are you today, sir? I'm well, thank you. I hope everyone's having a great day. Uh, hope uh, hope the weather's uh, doing fine for you. I hope you're not in uh, any kind of snowstorm or flood or heat stroke or n- other nonsense like that. But uh, if you are, then hope you find someplace safe to be while still watching our show, because that's the most important thing, really. I mean, you got to keep watching. Power goes out. You better have a battery backup for your phone, tablet, whatever. So, you know, do that. And call the cops if you need to, but you know, keep keep us. While in still tab. watching, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While while still keeping this tab open. That's in fact, that's a great advertising. Uh, what while while you're doing your sobriety test, just say here, hold this, and you know, take a look. <laughs> now you know why I was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what went on this week with you? I'm still sick. Still. Yeah, well, he's got I mean, the it, long COVID people. Well, well no, it's, it, I don't have any of the COVID symptoms. It's that um, upper respiratory tract infection thing. And they're still not giving you antibiotics for that. Nope, I did get antibiotics. They're not working. Oh, no. So uh, I went to, and so the upper respiratory tract infection wasn't as bad as some of them that I've had in the past. So that, I, that to me, it was a good sign. Like, okay, you know, we're starting off uh, well here. Um, I started taking the antibiotics, so they gave me a shot, two shots in the butt. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it wasn't as bad as the Lyme's disease one I had years ago. This one, I don't know why they did in the butt, uh, you know, uh, whatever. They gave me a couple uh, shots in the butt, um, a steroid and some antibiotic. Uh, and then I've got antibi- uh, uh, amoxicillin, and there's something else mixed with it. I forget what it is. And for the first two days, I felt myself get better. Okay. For the last four days, I've just been riding. You got better to a point and then plateaued. Yeah, I still feel now it's not nearly as, as obviously I'm talking today, right? You sure. know, yeah, I, you're not I have coughing every five seconds. Yeah, I still cough, but it's not nearly as bad. Um, it still feels like I got a nail pounding in my chest. Just it doesn't feel like the nails that big now. It just kind of feels like, you know. Regular like size a, nail? Yeah, it feels like I swelled like a grape nut or something. I don't know. Like there's something there and it's really frustrating. But uh, <laughs> Um, but no, the, the two things that have been the most frustrating is I've gone back to sleeping like 14 hours. Like I cannot stay awake. It's not narcolepsy. I don't just sit here and fall asleep, but I just am so drained, so tired that I just sit there and I'm like, you know, just, just drooling on myself. The other one is, and I don't ever remember this happening before in my life. It has absolutely affected my attitude. I, I yelled at my wife for like an hour the other night, uh, not at her because I was talking about some other stuff, but I was just going off and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. This might be a little weird to say on the stream, but, uh, twice this week I decided to say, F this, I'm done streaming. Just not going to do it anymore. Like, uh, kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of in a bitch move where I was just like, I just don't care. I just don't fucking care. Pardon the cussing. Uh, but it gives you, uh, understand the attitude that I'm in here. I just don't care. I, I've got other things I want to do and this isn't it. And, uh, this isn't fun. The thing is, is it is still fun. It's just, I, I know it's the medicine doing this to me, but it's like, if it, one more weird thing would have happened, I would have just been like, screw you guys. And I just would have shut it off and shut down Legion of Myth. That's how, and I was that close to doing it for no reason other than I'm just being, a 
a whiny little bitch, you know. Uh, and I know it's the medicine because I can tell because it 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 starts about forty five minutes after I take that big ass horse pill that now everything in the world makes me want to sleep and I hate it. If I was a woman, I probably would have cried for like twenty five minutes eating ice cream, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that's how I felt. It was just really weird. So I cannot wait for this medicine to be over. But I've got one and a half days left of these pills, and if I still have this crap going on. I'm gonna have to go back to the doctor and be like, so what's next? Surgery. <laughs> I'm gonna go in there just and suck out, it out. Just pull out the bronchial the bronchial tubes, yeah. Yep. Wash them out, take take them out back with the hose, clean <laughs> them out, put them back them. in. <laughs> Lacquer them a little bit, you know, give them a little protection. Spray the inside, clear out the tube. There you go. WD 40, baby, works on everything. There it is. Then put it back in. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, so I'm honestly though I'm paying attention to that a little bit because I've had a couple. Like I said, I was this close to just hitting delete on the YouTube channel. I'm like, okay. Wow. Um, as a side note, because of this, I probably shouldn't. Say, well, it probably doesn't matter that much because I have another one near me. I do not have a firearm sitting right here next to me. I told my wife to take it away from me. It's a good plan. Like I, I, I was not. I mean, I'm better right now, but I mean, generally speaking, I was not of sound mind and body. So I was like, you know what? Um, I'm gonna keep the ammo. But uh, go ahead and, uh, and and you take this part for now. So she still hasn't given it back. Well, yeah. I mean, you you, <laughs> you know she's not until these pills are dead. They're not giving you shit. <laughs> I still have two other firearms I have access to, but I have to get up, and I have no energy to get up. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, it's it's weird because I haven't had like like this combined. I don't know if I don't know if it is lingering effects of COVID because my wife and I were talking about that. We're like, we're wondering if it is lingering effects of COVID because she's like, you haven't done this before. You haven't had like this weird eighteen hours, you know, sleep all day, forget to go to work kind of stuff, you know, before in your life. And you know, and, and you've. I wouldn't call it depression. That's that's a stupid word to use. But you haven't had this melancholy that you did before. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh that's the weird thing that's been going on with me. Other than that, um uh work work got under my you know, on my last nerve this week, but I don't know if that was because I really was pissed off deservedly so or if I was pissed off because of the medicine. So I'm I'm taking that with Probably a grain of salt. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. Because uh, there are definitely some things that uh, are going on at work that I don't agree with, and I know they're going to come to a head at some point. I actually kind of told my supervisor, I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, you have to. No. <laughs> like, you know, that's usually not the, the, the way that the work relationship is supposed to go. So, um, And then on Friday, I ran a one shot of Forbidden Lands for some people who are told to have mandatory fun. So uh, uh, it. Um, How'd that go? Hmm. It depends on how you look at it. I'll find out on Tuesday to see, you know, if they had fun and so forth. For me, it wasn't as fun as it could have been. Uh, one, I could have done some things better as a game master. You know, I mean, you know, I've had a lot of people say, well, yeah, but you hadn't done it a long time. Yeah, but still, I mean, I was running a one shot of, of an adventure that I've run many times. So, I mean, it's like, it's not like this is like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, no. Um, the issue came down to they aren't the type of players that that I would normally have in a group. Like, it's not my no, style. No, no, no. Hang on, hang on. Let, let's change that to normally having a group to normally wish for in a group. Well, fair, but it's I mean, not their fault. No, 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 no. So, well, yeah, and and yeah, I think I said that a little bit like it was their fault. But the next one is like, oh no, it's just not not what I would have hoped for if I had a choice. 
I'm gonna. There's partially their fault, and here's why. It's mostly mine, and and I said this on Friday too. I think I said it's like eighty percent my fault. Things that I could have done differently or better, but is a lot of that was just the nature of it being a one shot in a really tight time constraint. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, so we're, we're, what are we doing next? We do, you know whatever. Um, but no. Um, so one of the two of the guys had never played a game like this before. One of them gave it the college try. And I'm like, you know what? I'll respect him because he was up front. Like, I've never done this before. I'm a hack and slash Diablo player. And that's pretty much what I'm going to do. Okay. You know what? But he tried. The other dude, I don't know if he was just trying to be too school, uh, cool for school or something. And he was only doing this because he was forced to be there because it was mandatory fun. Um, so, cool. hey, Nerdy Ogre got the, the gifted membership. So thank you very much, Mercurius. Thank you. Um, Let's put it this way. At lunchtime, I would have liked to have just asked him to leave the table. Um, but mandatory fun. Uh, so, so I just let it go. The other three had played before, but again, they play in a style that's different than, than I play. You know, uh, third person, almost consistently. Uh, they're describing what their characters were saying, you know, uh, like asking tons of questions instead of just role playing. And I don't know if it's, yeah, it's just not, not my style. Again, I don't blame them per se, but that'd be one of those things that in my groups, I'd be coaching them out of that stuff. Like, no, we're going to, we're going to role play here. We're not going to play 20 questions. (laughs) No, it's, it's not even just that. It's just, I found that if you speak as if you were the player, rather than describing what your player says. It takes less time. You don't have to keep it. Well, my player says, I mean, that alone saying like 18 times in two minutes, you're, 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 you're losing, you're, you're losing time. That's significant now. And then you're like, well, if my character does this, what happens? Man, I don't know. Try it. <laughs> just, just try it. And again, if, if this would be something that wasn't a one shot that we were going to carry on over time, play every week. Yeah. Been more I, critical. Yeah, I would I would have fostered that more. Um, I played with probably three quarters of the rules. I, I actually literally skipped some of them when it came to character creation. I'm like, look, this this stuff only matters for long term. We're not going to worry about this. I'm not going to go into every talent that you can possibly have. That's going to take too long because I didn't know I was going to be running the game until that morning because only okay. one person had signed up and the other game was the D&D game. So I knew that I wasn't going to get the players right. Well, guess what? The D&D game didn't happen. And that was one of the guys that was sitting at my table. So and, and in his defense, he was a good sport about it. He actually sat at the table. Again, he doesn't play the way I play, but he wasn't a negative Nancy at the table. He actually sat at the table and was like, all right, let's, let's see what this game is and let's do it. So I, I give him, I give him some, That's good. yeah, yeah, yeah I, I give him some kudos for that. Uh, the, the biggest complaint I had about me was uh, I did two things that looking back at it, I, I, I know why I did it. I still would have done it, but uh the first one was the first combat that they got into. I was more concerned about them doing things than me representing the combat well. Mm. So I, I really, I think I caused the problem by making them feel like it was a more of a video game. All right, here's the monster. What you guys doing kind of thing, you know, because I wanted to engage them more instead of actually kind of treat the monster like what it was, which was a, it, it was a wandering giant, a carnivorous plant. You know, uh, I turned it into a daisy this time. I've done a tulip. I've done a dandelion before. This time, I don't know why I picked daisy. Um, you know, that that has vines that actually took out one of the characters first round. Whoa. <laughs> broke him. Didn't kill him, but broke him. 
uh, first round, like the dude just rolled horribly. He's like, oh, um, you know, I had poison cloud type stuff, you know, uh, spores, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I, I was mad at myself about that. And I was honestly, I was thinking about it the rest of the adventure. Like, okay, we're not going to do the next combats like that. No, 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 no. So that was always kind of weighing there. And then uh, after lunch, because I wanted to make sure we got through the adventure. Okay. You know that in a one shot, if you go to a convention, your job is to play along with the adventure. Now, yes. I know you like more railroady stuff than I do, but, yeah, but this we is all... four hours. People paid money, right? Right. So don't be a dick. Let it go. Move on. Remember when I said that one of the players, I, I would have just been like, yeah, you don't need to come back. They were, he was helping trying to convince them to have them not do the adventure. I don't think he was doing it intentionally to break the game. Because he had never played before. He was obviously doing it intentionally. What was he doing it intentionally to do? I don't think he understood what it means to be in kind of a more railroady one shot. He has he'd never played before. And because he got tore up by that plant, he's like, I'm out. Oh, he had feelings. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm out. I was like, I don't want to deal with this. Just, just abandon this chick that, you know, they're supposed to, well, they're not rescuing a chick, but we'll just say that. Um, you know, I, I don't care about her. Let's just take her to, to wherever the hell she came from, get the reward for rescuing her and fuck the rest. You know, sorry for cussing again, but, uh, you know, he was doing, he was doing stuff like, he's like, okay, guys, this is a one shot <laughs> convention style adventure. You're supposed to kind of play along with this one, you know, you know, got some eye rolling on that, but, uh, yeah, so I ended up giving him the map, not with all the secrets on it, but I gave him like what would be like the player map and just said, here you go. You've explored two rooms so far. See how big this thing actually is? Go explore it. So, which uh, it took away some of the role play, but I did it because I knew we were in a time crunch and I knew that they were starting to act uninterested. They need so, to push in the right direction. Yeah, so I just said, here's the map. You've got some stuff to do. Now, here's the funniest thing that came from this. Number one, they either broke or ignored all of their treasure. So much so that I had to make up a piece of treasure to put in there just to make it look like they got something out of it. <laughs> how, uh, do you, how do you break all that stuff Like as you get it? So uh, one area where they could have got some treasure, they didn't even choose to explore. They, they started to explore it and then stopped. So there's like this pool at the at the bottom, like, like the room kind of flooded a little bit, but the the floor falls away. And if they look down there, there's the possibility of noticing that, you know, something. But nobody even tried to look. Somebody just threw a rock down there. I throw a rock. OK, is it deep? Yeah, it goes down. You know, it, it's not like two feet. It goes down, you know, maybe 20, 30 feet, something like that. All right. And then they just went on shit, other stuff. Nobody even bothered. Like, hey, can I look down in there? That's never happened before whenever on this adventure. Really? nobody's ever not looked down there but he's always in fact it's usually the opposite you know um and then Everyone's the other one fighting to jump in yeah. <laughs> <It's> like we <"Wee!" laughs> the uh, the other one was uh uh they found a chest and the thief never did his thieving stuff now to be fair the thief was the one that was broken at the beginning so he never did his thieving stuff so they just decided that they were going to break everything well this chest is set up that if you break it it breaks the crap inside and he took a mall to it. <laughs> I was like, well, um, there's a there's a parchment in there with some runny ink right now. And uh, there's it's it's wet on the inside. Like, oh, we just ruined things, didn't we? Like, yes, you did. <laughs> so, 
So they found a secret, which is a red herring secret. But at the back of it, I put like I put a gem encrusted collar uh, in in there uh, just to give them something <laughs> to say that they they came out of here with something. No, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's uh, it, it was definitely um, a unique group, but but it was it was a unique group. It isn't like in normally the way I would run it or or people you know and so forth. So I'd say it's a net positive. I'm just frustrated with myself because you know I you know me I'm a perfectionist. So if it don't go perfectly, then then you know I broke everything. So yeah, I mean uh, I I feel the same way when I did the last Call of Cthulhu adventure, the uh, the St. Louis one uh st louis uh, missouri uh the one rule of of uh of someone running call of cthulhu is when someone dies you have to make that death epic okay you have to make it super cool so it 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 kind of puts a salve on the idea that you know they they died and so they, they don't probably horribly cool. too right <laughs> yeah 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 and and they're gonna die horribly that's just how it works but make it cool and I, I didn't make it cool i i was i was i was too busy making every i literally the entire adventure was made up as i went along hmm. so that yeah they they chose the uh the uh, time period and and their investigators i chose the place and the adventure and i had 10 minutes beforehand and then went so i had stuff on my mind but that was like that's a cardinal rule it's a cardinal rule and i just i just blew by it like it was nothing like like it was a stop like like it was a speed limit sign that you don't give a shit about. Well, That's in your I, defense, because I have talked to the people who played in that game, y'all had fun. So yeah, yeah, they had, they had fun, but man, it, the guy was he got one of the guys got his neck ripped out, and I just kind of like I feel like I just glossed over it. Like you don't gloss over getting your neck ripped out by your friend turned into a zombie. You don't do that, right? You 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 make you make them try and have feels about that, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, I failed. All right, whatever. It's fine. Um, I want to oh, talk to you. I want to talk. No, I'm not going to do this now. I want to talk. I want to talk to you after the uh, after this stream. Okay. For a couple if minutes. we have time, if we have time after doing my my segments and your segment, mm -hmm. I would like to do a quick 10, 15 minute deal on making a character using uh, online software that you can get for free in okay. Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. Just have it ready to go. Um, I have I it ready to go right now, but it depending depends on, how, on how long your stuff is, I don't think that's going to be a problem because I honestly, it might be a little bit of a long one, but I only have one segment. To, I'm doing this all in one shot because there's no real way to break it up. So, and uh, by the way, the book, where's the book? About 70% of this book I can't talk about. So, um, which is what I'm covering today. You know, uh, apparently there are a lot of people sending me messages now that they found out that I'm doing this because I got, I got my book like two weeks ago mm -hmm. and apparently a lot of people have not got their books yet. So I know crafty was one of them, but a couple other people are like, it's like, sorry, I, I don't say like, I got my book a couple weeks ago. That's why I knew I was doing this for a while, but, uh, but this book isn't what I thought it was. I thought there was going to be more, I thought it was gonna be more like a source book. It is not, it's actually a campaign so oh, obviously okay. i can't spoil the campaign right that would be that'd be a d-bag move yeah so we're we're gonna talk about the things that i can talk about and what's new and so forth and so i'm, I'm gonna do it in one like i said it might be a little long 45 minutes or so instead of you know two half hours or whatever but uh we'll, we'll get through that yeah so i'm just doing one so you probably should have time depending on how long your stuff is today so are you ready to get to your stuff i am all Let's right go. so let's 
Let's first thank some folks out here. So I want to thank all you wonderful people who uh, support us monetarily and actually caused me to not delete the YouTube channel. <laughs> your gracious donations help us provide giveaways produce more content and generally give back to legion myth community as a whole hold on a second do you know what okay true story do you know oh hey look at that he's getting already on do you know what actually stopped me from deleting the channel your wife nope think that i want to have kevin and sean back on oh oh look at that <laughs> so all right, let's. Uh, as many as many uh, as many of you know, we have a fairly big have here have Max's crap giveaway. Um, in fact, I've got to start up another one real soon here because uh, the last three have been received by the folks, and so far everybody's been happy with what they've received, especially the little extras that I've been putting in there, whether they're comic books. I think I gave one person a novel. Somebody got a card game. Just, the crap that I don't remember. It literally is here have Max's crap giveaway. So you know. <laughs> There's, there's extra stuff that's usually been going in there. And, uh, of course, we have the Friday night giveaway. We didn't do it this Friday because I was sleeping and didn't prepare. Uh, but I also only made $2, so that doesn't you know open up a giveaway. <laughs> but I uh, want to thank all of you for your support. And please check the description below for Legion Myth merchandise and our channels and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Discord. Come, come join us on the Discord. We have a couple of... Uh, couple of channels that are used constantly. I'd like to see more of them used. By the way, if Flady's ever watching, I don't know if he watches these, but uh, thanks for utilizing that comic book uh, channel. I'm really happy to see more and more people involved in that, even though I don't give a damn about comic books. So, For the most part. Yeah. For... All right, let's, uh, let's get you ready. All right, a couple seconds, and whenever you're ready to go. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition. We've talked about spells, we talked about grimoires and magical tomes written in human blood and bound in human flesh. Well, yum yum. now we're going to talk about the other things that you can run across that can give or take away your life, and that is artifacts. Yes, these are magical things that you can use. Maybe they're a plant by, by some evil god to, to steal your soul away, but maybe they're not, and we're going to find out right now. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth. Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. All right. And we are now going into artifacts Ooh, stop it there we go almost got this down <clears throat> although most investigators tend to see creatures of the mythos as little more than malignant monsters wait am i in the right place artifacts and alien devices yes yeah i am okay well then we'll move on like i said i've never read this before so we're seeing it for the first time both of us in truth many of them have vibrant and technologically advanced societies Advanced races such as the Elder Things, the Migo, Serpent People, and the Yithians 
all possess the ability to construct and utilize technology in the pursuit of their agendas. The Migo, especially, we're going to talk about them in the sidebar in a second, but they are they are a big factor in the uh, fourth and fifth. No, yeah, fourth and fifth edition. Um, uh, uh, Delta Green. Mythos races, human cultists, and wizards may occasionally have access to ancient and otherworldly artifacts as well as well as to scientific marvels. I guess that makes sense. A, a selection of technology and arcane artifacts follows. Most humans would be unable to tell the difference between a piece of advanced scientific equipment and a magical mythos artifact, as both are essentially beyond mankind's level of comprehension and ability to reproduce question about that uh, that absolutely makes perfect sense if you're talking 1800s and maybe even up to the 1920s you know uh, today I mean, that that doesn't wouldn't hold true for say like a delta green thing would it yeah it would it would because the 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 mythos devices we're talking about they are centuries ahead of us technologically because they understand the actual fundamentals of the universe where we're just making crap up and hoping it works these these items are very much you open them up some of them exist in in our plane of existence at different times no like, no, no, no I, I i agree with you there but i'm saying yeah. i think we could tell the difference between some sort of technology and some weird alien artifact at this point no really okay yeah we're, we're gonna find out in a minute we're gonna find out uh da -da 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 -da. Man can, what mankind may consider to be high magic could well be a tech technological in nature and vice versa here's the migo i hate these guys not only are the migo technologically advanced several hundred years beyond that of earth but they also are eager to use it technology is very much part of their daily life the migo originally came to earth to steal certain minerals they could not find on their own worlds thus most technology that the migo have brought to earth relates to mining or to war the Migo also touch upon the edges of the dark technology of the mythos gods, perhaps more so than any other mythos race. They created uh, Gadamon, a larval great old one, from a seed of Azathoth. They formed the shining trapezohedron, which has a peculiar power over an aspect of, of Nar Narlotep. I'm getting that wrong. I don't care. And they constructed a network of magical gates, which tie together many of their outposts. They made stargates, for Christ's sake. Come on, man. I mean, the, all of their stuff is like uh, is like next generation era Star Trek versus 1200s France. All right. That that that's the technological difference we're talking about here. And it is so vast. It is a chasm that the humans cannot even see the other side of, let alone understand anything. of. So we cool. can play Call of Cthulhu in space. Yes, you can. Yes. All right, so uh, we'll we'll go through some of it. Uh, web armor. This is this is gonna be weird. Used by the Migo. Now the the the, the Migo are fungus people. All right, and if I remember correctly, they they have a problem with uh, uh, memories. All of their cells hold racial memories, but they only have so much. They don't have distinct brains. Wait, racial memory or genetic memory. I guess both or okay. either it, it, it's hard to comprehend really. Okay. So they only have so much room for, for all the memories of their race and their body. So they have to pick and choose. So they don't know how their race started. They dumped that information a long time ago. They are, they're like millions of years old and they have no idea 
the what planet they're from or what they were before they were spacefaring. They have no idea. They don't remember. In dangerous situations, the Migo typically donned these webs of semi-luminous green slime. The harness provides eight points of armor against blows, flame, electricity, etc. Now, uh, in comparison, I believe uh, Kevlar vest is something like two or three. Humans may wear these biowebs, but take one point of damage as hair and flesh are ripped away each time the armor is removed. Not wearing it. <laughs> it's stuck to you. It's like it's like ripping off duct tape. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, it's the strong. It's it's like duct tape, but it, the instead of using the regular adhesive, they use super glue. glue. <laughs> use gorilla glue instead. Oh, gorilla glue. Bio web will slowly degrade because humans do not exude the proper nutrient solutions to care for it. So it's waiting for food from you, and you're not giving it, so it starves to death eventually. Each time it is worn by a human, a bio web decreases in protection by one point. When no armor points remain, the armor disintegrates into a steaming, sticky pool of viscous matter. Whether mm -hmm. there are significant side effects to wearing this armor is unknown. <laughs> that <laughs> last hint, sentence, hint, game master. Yeah, hint. <laughs> the, that last sentence tells the keeper, "Oh no, make up some stuff." Like, well, if it only hurts you if you take it off, I won't take it off. Oh well, okay. No, no, no. You let that linger. You use it for a session, two sessions, five sessions. They forget about it's the greatest thing ever, and then slowly you find that there are tendrils inside of you, and your eye, your your eyes just turn black or so. You let it slowly creep. Something that they kind of forget about, and then it's got you. Or you take it off, and now you need it. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's actually replaced a vital function of your body, and now you're dying without it. That's great. You have leprosy without it. <laughs> that would be awesome. And then we have, you know what? We're gonna do the Migo again. The brain cylinder. This thing. What the hell is a brain cylinder? Well, we're gonna find out. Is it like the Zenragellan brain box from Battlelords? That would be fun. But let's see. These shiny cylinders are used to preserve extracted brains. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Lovecraft described them as a foot high and somewhat less in diameter with three curious sockets set in an isosceles triangle over the front convex surface. Each cylinder is filled with a nutrient solution that sustains the brain within. Think of... Uh, Soil and green. No, no. <laughs> Think of uh, uh, Fry, Bender. What, what's that show? Futurama. Futurama. Th think of Futurama, the little, the little brain boxes they have. Oh, the, the, like, the, the heads in the jars, yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. Three accessory machines, a tall rig with twin lenses mounted on the front, a box of vacuum tubes, stuff like that, compromise the Mego sensing apparatus. These machines, when connected to the proper sockets, remember there's three, provide the brain with the faculties of sight, speech, and hearing. The Mego, not possessed of human senses, have done their best. <laughs> This is great. However, it is but an approximation of sound and vision. All visual input is grainy, of low general resolution, and the audio is flat like a like a mono oral <laughs> phonograph. You're watching a 1920s film. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 seeing a 1920s film, and you're speaking like you're a speaking spell. You know, that's basically what's going on. Speech, with all its nuances and inflection and emotion, is utterly lost on the fungi. They don't they don't understand it. The speech machine talks with a mechanical monotone voice devoid of emotion. When the sensory machines are disconnected or deactivated, the encased brain falls into a semi-insane sleep state filled with strange dreams and hallucinations. You think? Every month, a human brain is enclosed within a cylinder. The brain must roll under or equal to its intelligence. 
If it's successful, the brain remembers it is stuck inside a tin can and loses 1d3 sanity points. That's it? Well, it's every month. And they're not going to let you out. What? What are you, high? They're not going to let you out. There's no body to put you back into. Mika don't care. They're just going to keep you in there until you implode and then get a new one. So that's bad. This this right here is uh is an adventure in itself. Like you're looking for little Timmy. Timmy was abducted by <laughs> aliens. The Migo took him and put him in a brain box. That's what happened. So you found good news, you found Timmy. Bad news, he's in a brain box. Crystal of the Elder things. We're going to skip ahead after this one. Large crystalline storage containers constructed to harness the power needed to bind Shoggoths to the Elder Thing will. These crystals, that's a a creature we're going to get to next segment. The smallest shards might store five magic points and the largest 100. A caster can draw some or all the magic points from a crystal while casting a spell. This is actually good. This is a non-rechargeable battery for human spellcasters. If you get a hold of it and you know how to tap into the power, You can cast spells all day. Real strong ones, too. When empty, these crystals are room temperature, but they become colder as more magic points are stored in them. (laughs) To access the magic points stored, the user must become attuned to the specific crystal. Very, very 5e. There must be a physical contact, and the user must spend 1d6 rounds attuning to the vibrations of the crystal. On the final round, a a power roll must be made. With success... The user can draw upon the magic points within as needed. Note that only elder things have the ability to understand to invest crystals with further magic points. So only elder things can charge it, but anyone properly attuned can draw from it. That's great. That this this is actually an, another another good thing to throw in uh, at investigators who who you want to make uh, make them go insane using magic spells. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Several pages. Oh, here we go. The that that uh, shining trapezohedron we we uh, spoke of earlier, the the one that the Migo made. Mm-hmm. Let's see Why does everything does. Migo make? Is it does any anybody else create anything? No. Well, that that there were the elder things when we we saw the serpent people one that I didn't That's I didn't fair. actually uh, read, but uh, the 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 Migo are more prominent in this list because they're the ones who make more technological looking items. It was a nearly black, red, red striated polyhedron with many irregular flat surfaces, either a very remarkable crystal of some sort or an artificial object of carved and highly polished mineral matter. It did not touch the bottom of the box, but was held suspended by means of a metal band around its center. With seven queerly designed supports extending horizontally. Now, of course, this case, queerly, this is 1920s. It means strangely. Yes, that's. Yes. Horizontally. No, nowadays you have to say that to angles of the boxes inner wall near the top exposed. Blake could scarcely tear his eyes from it. And as he looked at its glistening surfaces, he almost fancied it was transparent with half formed worlds of wonder within. Well, what does it do, man? Used by the the cultists of of Narlathotep. Gnarly. (laughs) A peculiar box in which is mounted a stone about four inches thick. It rewards or damns those who look into it with visions of other worlds and dimensions. Thus, the stone shines with the interior light of things not of our world. When the box is closed, enclosing the gem in total darkness, a hideous avatar of gnarly comes, known as the haunter of the dark since it abhors light. 
it will not enter any space where light is present, not even the pale circles light cast by street lamps. The stone exercises great command over human psyches and is believed to be used by worshippers of Gnarly. This artifact is ancient, predating humanity and possibly manufactured by the Migo on Yugoth. Again, more Migo stuff. But here, here's the here's the rub. Sure, you look into it, you can see other worlds, other dimensions. It's it's a really good thing to to cast a uh, to cast a, a communication spells through. It's also a good way to go just bat crap crazy. But if you isn't everything, if you leave it open in a dark room, the hunter of the dark comes. And who knows what he's going to do? Well, I know, but who knows what he's going to do? Who knows? Well, hunter of the dark, that sounds like Christmas presents and cookies. Sure. Yeah. It's a little more crampusy, but okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, let's look at some more. Uh, the tabula rasa device. That sounds good. Uh, used by the Yithians. A device invented by the Yithians to erase the memories of those entities they displace through time. Okay, uh, quick thing. The the Yithians commonly trades, trade uh, consciousness with other races in other time periods to gather information about other people and other things. So this device is used to erase the mind of someone before they send him back. So he won't remember things he's seen or done or the Yithians he's spoken to or, you know, any insanities he occurred. He just won't remember, which is awesome. In a small, slim, rectangular copper box covered with tiny indentations. From one side of the box, five flexible metal tubes extend, ending in inch-long metal needles. The needles are inserted into the victim's head, which takes five rounds, once per one per needle, I imagine. Once the device is activated, the victim is paralyzed unless he or she makes a successful power roll each round that the device is connected. Each round, the machine erases up to a year's worth of memories or removes five points of intelligence at the operator's discretion. So they they can lobotomize you if they want These memories and thoughts are stored in the copper box. The erasure of memories is not always totally complete. Every year, there is an intelligence chance that some memory returns in the form of dreams. The function of this device may also be reversed, feeding stored memories to the original victim or alternatively to another entity entirely. That's a good one. The tabula rasa device is very complex and can only be used by those familiar with Yithian technology. Humans ignorant of Yithian technology would require an extreme intelligence role to successfully operate the device. Failure would indicate that the person connected to the machine has suffered brain damage and the loss of, wait for it, 1D100 intelligence. So you could lose all of it. Or or very little. Or, or very little, or nothing at all. Like, one, I, hold like, on. Yeah, whatever. 1D100 yeah. right here, baby. Do it. Do it. Uh, well, if it ever stops rolling, it's still rolling. Uh, don't fall off the table. It's this is why open. I don't like golf ball hundreds. Uh, okay, I'm just throwing it in. Uh, I got a 19. <laughs> okay, you lost 19 intelligence. Now, that's a lot, no matter how you shake it. <laughs> it's... That's a lot. You, 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 you've significantly lost IQ points at that point. So you're, you're still you're smart. Oh, no, that's chapter 14. Uh, the Yithians, again, with a temporal communicator communicating through time. Like, like I said, their, their big thing is they're, they're uh, uh, mental time travelers. Uh, these devices are sometimes supplied to human agents of the Yithians. When assembled, the device stands nearly a foot tall. 
and it looks like a paper mache thing that a five-year-old would make. <laughs> when it's not, it is made of bronze and covered with intricate. No, that's car- the thing at the beginning of the chapter that you started the, yeah. the segment yeah, off this with. This is the thing at the beginning of the chapter, and we'll move we'll on to it in a second. A red jewel attuned to a specific Yithian is embedded into the top of the machine. When the power is switched on, the jewel begins to glow. After a few minutes, contact is established with the Ithian attuned to the jewel. The Ithian may be any distance in time or space. A hologram. So, is so can I get next year's Super Bowl? I don't think the Ithian cares, so it wouldn't have recorded that information. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a hologram is projected of the Ithian, and the Ithian can see in time and space occupied by the machine and thus may communicate with those who have contacted it. A Yithian temporal communicator is fairly straightforward to operate, provided that an investigator can withstand and determine which carving turns it on. And there are a lot of carvings on that. And let's let's move over to the. There it is. And there's not, the hologram not, not of as the paper mache anymore. No, no. There's the carving of the Yithian. I mean, the hologram of the Yithian. That's what they look like. It's not good. Even seeing that hologram, you're going to lose some sanity. It's not real. It's just a movie. Yeah, it's just whatever. It's a movie. So it's all good. Now, this is the the crux of the artifacts. The artifacts are there to enhance the keeper's scenario, to enhance the the gameplay of the of the adventure that they're on. So you'd want to place these either because Yithians, Migo, serpent people, whomever is the main the main antagonist or was here or an old base or whatever or have them come across these things in a curio shop to help and help them gather information or 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 further their investigation in a specific path to help them solve the scenario so it's the keeper's job to use these items very frugally and pointedly to make sure it doesn't unbalance the game because any of these can unbalance the game. If a human being figured out how to use the the the, the five tentacle needle uh death machine or an, an intelligence killing machine and oh man, this is great. The, it, the power source never runs out cuz it doesn't. And I know how to use it now. I can steal memories from people, implant them in my own brain. This is debilitating to the campaign because now skill points don't matter. Yeah. Think about that. Your players can now kidnap people, take their memories, implant them into themselves. Memories of anything, including skills. You're playing Shadowrun now. Yeah. Yeah. You got skill waters now. Basically. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You know, so be very, very careful what you introduce, how you introduce it, and if you allow the characters to keep it. Because sometimes you won't want to. So do we have any uh, chat? Yeah, um, we're going to do it a little weirdly this time. I'm going to start actually I, I'm going to start actually at the uh, the end, so to speak. Okay. Um, the web is eating your skin over time. Let's talk about that uh, that gooey web armor thing. Web is eating your skin the over time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. Web is eating your skin over time, trying to gain the need its needed nutrients. So yeah, it's like just slowly turning you into like a husk of just... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if if I were the keeper, I would I would say it's something like this. You know how flies they don't really have teeth or claws or anything like that. They kind of vomit on stuff, liquefy it, and then suck it up through their mouth. 
That's exactly what the web is doing to your skin. If you have it on for more than a day at a time, it will try and liquefy your skin and then suck it up and eat it. It does that. It liquefies your skin where it's touching and then sucks it up, but it doesn't get any nutrient from it. So it still loses a point of armor rating, but you lose permanent point of permanent points of appearance, uh, hit points, stuff like that. So taking it off while, while hurting a lot, you're not going to be forever scarred. But if you leave it on for more than a day, I will make you scarred because of it. That's what I would do. Sure. So, uh, per my comment about science fiction, uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, there's a game called Eldritch Skies, which is science fiction Lovecraft, but doesn't use beer. I don't know what BRP is. I don't immediately know. Is that, is that is that the name of the rule system for Chaosium? I suppose. Okay. I suppose. But uh, no, I, I have seen a whole bunch of stuff, a uh, whole bunch of uh, fan-made stuff and stuff even on the uh, Chaosium website for uh, for all kinds of different eras. And, and one of them was uh, a science fiction era. Okay. Um, I would like you to kind of, but not fully end this segment. Then there are two more comments we're going to get to. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead and throw up the subscribe. Yep. And for those of us watching us live and not on Memorex, we are going to next go through monsters and gods. So what are your investigators going to face against? during their trobs and tribulations of life in a Lovecraftian nightmare? Well, we're going to find out. All right, now we'll hit these other comments. I may or may not put these comments in the video side of it. We'll find out. But uh, so I want you to do this without saying poo-poo words, okay? Okay. <laughs> the first one's simple. This one's not a not a big deal. Um, so uh, there's a rooster's uh, place. says, love me some Delta Green. Just hate the politics of the creators. It's the reason why I did this one first before the, uh, the next one we're going to do. And yeah, I, I do my best to ignore the personal life of artists and creators. It doesn't matter to me. I only care about the creation. Now, if the creation is riddled with their personal fifis and politics, then basically they're, they're ruining their creation for 80% of people out there. It detracts from what they're trying to do. Create a game, create a story, let people have a good time. You're, you're putting shackles on the players and the game master before you even start the game. It's a bad move. So as long as they don't do crap like that, it's fine. And I, I've had Delta Green for years. I've read those books. And I don't recall any any overt politics or or uh, or personal it may have been taken over by somebody else like for example evil hat does some stuff with uh, okay. uh now, and evil hat's one of the worst company like i seriously I, i'm not going to say poopoo words but i am going to say if they were to die tomorrow i wouldn't lose any sleep okay now to be fair i have fifth edition rules for for yeah. delta green so it's years and years ago so there's that now that was great you actually segued way better into this uh, next comment better than i than i could have hoped which is so on the twitch side and i don't know if he's still watching but somebody watched our uh our little advertisement and said laugh my butt off what is entertainment over activism even supposed to mean well you kind of already detailed that but please healing dog give us a, a yeah. short so now, what, what is it? Why are we concerned about this whole entertainment over activism portion of core values? A game is supposed to be not just fun. You're supposed to immerse yourself in very likely a world that is not ours. So why is it that some creators 
create worlds that seem to have all of our world's socio-political issues. It doesn't make sense. It detracts from the game. It detracts from the enjoyment of the people who want to escape. Role-playing games are a, an escape from actual reality. Why are you interjecting reality into a fantasy? I don't understand that. Some common physics, fine. You know, you have to have you have to have a framework of physics, right? But I've seen many games that put physics on its head. Mm. The game has its own physics, right? Magic obviously doesn't exist in this world, but it exists in there. Why why put socioeconomic shackles on your world when you don't have to? I don't get it. So that's what it's for. Keep your activism in your personal life. That's fine. What you believe, what you think, what you personally fight for, the changes you want to make in the real world, more power to you, man. Do what you can to sleep well at night. I'm fine. But put it into the game. You're, you're alienating people. You're making sure your game doesn't sell as far and wide. That's just, that's shooting yourself in the foot. And I'm never going to under, well, it's sometimes it's about more than money. Not when you're a company. When you're a company, you got people to pay. You have investors to pay back. You have employees to pay on the weekly. Money is very important to a company or else they go under, get, get sued and lose everything. So, so yeah. So remember that. The, the flip side to this is this also started with the calls for people to say that activism, they're actually saying activism over entertainment. They're saying that you have to put activism in the game, otherwise you're not addressing the issues and exactly. so forth. Addressing the issues of the real world is more important in, in, a, in a game that takes place in a completely different world. I never understand that. And no normal person does. So, yeah. all right, that, that's that's all we need to say about that. But uh, I don't know if the dude's still watching, but uh, hey, you know, there you go. And, and the reason why I had Heathen Dog actually answer that question was because it does come up quite a bit in the comments of Which various videos. Well, it's weird to me. I'll, I'll give you that. Me too. Uh, Rooster's Place says, uh, thanks, guys. And I agree. I think you're correct. And they don't add much of anything into the games. It's just hard to follow them on Twitter or X or whatever based, uh, what they, yeah, yeah. I, that's why I don't, I don't use Twitter. I don't use Instagram. I have Facebook. I haven't, I've literally never posted anything personal on it since, uh, 12 years ago when my son was born, that was it. Right. So I don't even bother. I don't want to know. I don't want to know the personal lives of any creators or artists of, of whose content that I consume. I don't want to know. This is why I completely despise Steve Jackson now because he's used his, I mean, he's always been a little open, but recently he's been so open about his political views for games like GURPS and Munch. You know, if you guys know Steve Jackson games, I mean, I, we are never going to talk about GURPS now. Like, yes. I, I, in fact, I lost an account over the fact that I was going to try to cover GURPS but now with all those little activist nonsense on his website, that's where you lose me. I'm with Heathen Dog. I'm probably more involved. Well, actually, I know more involved than Heathen Dog is. But if you've got your own little personal Twitter and you're a douche nozzle, that's fine. fine. When you do it on the company your one. Twitter, your personal Facebook, yeah. your personal Instagram. But the reason you make a company is to separate yourself from the company legally and financially. So people yeah. can't sue the company and take all of your personal money. So why are you bridging that gap socially? I don't get it. 
because it's they believe the activism is more important than entertainment activism is, is, is more important than the product. And that's somehow the they think they're changing the world in Dungeons and Dragons. Like, no, you're, no, not. you're not changing the world in Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. You're you're not changing the world in Hackmaster, you idiot. No, you're not. God. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to your segment two. give a couple seconds whenever you're ready, sir. Go ahead and start. Well, I got to get to the right area. Yep, not a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. We've talked about a lot of stuff today, but we haven't talked about all the things that are going to kill you or drive you insane. Or, let's face it, probably both. But today we are. We're taking a look at monsters, demons, and gods of the Cthulhu mythos. Hold on to your butts. Let's go. <laughs> Role-playing games thrive in fantastic worlds and at inclusive tables that embrace these core values for the most positive gaming experience. Donate to the Wounded Warrior Project via the link in the description below to help honor and empower our wounded heroes. On Thursdays and Saturdays, watch Heathen Dog's Dirty Casuals play multiplayer video games over on Twitch. On Sundays and Fridays, join us for tabletop role-playing game content on both YouTube and rumble finally please take a quick moment to like this video and share it with both your friends and on social media if you have not done so please subscribe to legion of myth and activate that bell icon to receive notifications of new content okay this picture right I, here I, hold, hold on i have one i have one bone to pick with you okay you said that we're now going to get into all this stuff that's going to make dude artifacts mess you up magic messes you up making a character messes you up you just lied to everybody that, no i didn't lie <laughs> well, okay okay i exaggerated all that other stuff messes you up over time this is immediate oh, okay <laughs> as in this guy right here this is right after someone said hey i thought i saw something and he pointed his flashlight towards something he's either going to go he's going to go in you know, temporarily insane or get his face eaten off. Let's find out which one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Uh, this chapter provides a selection of monsters, beasts, and alien beings for use within the Call of Cthulhu. The chapter is divided into four sections, each focusing on a specific monster type. Cthulhu, excuse me, Cthulhu mythos entities, mythos gods, classic monsters, and beasts. The selection of monsters across the section is not exhaustive. Every horror fan can probably think of some terror not present. The ones here are those found in the most important stories, frequently appear in scenarios, or are commonly referred to. Many more can be found in the Call of Cthulhu supplement, Malleus Monstrum, also from Chaosium. It's basically the monster manual for Chaosium. This is a starter guide. About the entries. Most monsters and entities have characteristics including size, constitution, strength, power, intelligence, and dex. However, many do not have an appearance or education, since these qualities are meaningless in such alien and horrific creatures. Okay, <laughs> see if you can see if you can wrap your brain around this. Most of you probably can. Appearance is is how good you look. Education is how well you are informed about about this world. Both of these things are ludicrous when you're talking about something from a distant star or from another dimension. Appearance is going to be, for the most part, indescribable to other people. So alien 
as to break your brain. That's why you're going to lose sanity even viewing these things. So appearance doesn't matter. And education, they have they know things that are so far beyond human understanding, they don't even correlate. There is no line to be drawn. There, there is no there is no six degrees of, of information between what humans know and, and what the Migo know or what the elder things know or anything like that. There is no line you can draw to get there. It, the chasm is too vast. So education stat, worthless. As it, as it applies to humans, it's worthless. Keepers have full reign to alter, modify, and rethink these entries. Lovecraft did not codify the monsters in his stories, so neither should you if you wish to present dramatically different versions. Yes, you don't need the Chaosium Monster Manual. You you can take a, a, a fire vampire or star vampire, whatever it's called, and you can change it. You can change it how you want to make it a different thing. Call it an ice vampire. Call it a, call it a, a, a lunar vampire. I don't care. You can do that. It doesn't matter. Make it a new thing. Give it a new backstory. Have fun with it. Completely fine. Lovecraft did the same thing. These are creatures of nightmare, and individual monsters may vary from one encounter to the next in their characteristics and abilities. Now, remember, what you're going to see, all the stats you're going to see are an average example. The keeper can boost and take away individual stats, characteristic, powers, damage, whatever, as he or she sees fit, and it's fine. It's a baseline. The characteristic values given for each monster are those of an average, see, average specimen. Okay. As keeper, you have the option to roll an individual monster statistics or choose to create a lesser or greater specimen using the dice ranges as a guide to generating characteristic values. An, an elder star vampire is going to be stronger, faster, smarter than a regular star vampire. What a, if the name is just to throw you off? Maybe the name is just, a, maybe they call themselves star vampires, but translation, it actually is, you know, elder thing from, from the, from the planet four set seven, Py you know? pyrite vampire, pyrite vampire. There you go. Only full characteristic values, i.e. no halves or fifths are listed for monsters. Non-player character and monster characteristics are primarily used to set the difficulty level of player skill roles. As keeper, you may occasionally need to figure out a one half or one fifth for a particular monster's value, but this will be unusual. Monsters usually don't have to roll that, that much because the things they know, like I said, do not correlate to anything in the, in the human world. So, it's usually just straight stat-based stuff. Monster sizes. Here is a monster. Here's monster sizes. This is a human. Hello, human. How are you doing? So you could just walk through that thing. It can't hurt you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a tunnel. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Builds. Uh, along with the characteristic of size, each monster, character, and vehicle has a build value. This figure provides, at a glance, guide to scale. The average human has a build of zero, which is with the full range extending from negative two children, small persons to two heavyweight boxers or Andre the Giant. Wait, a child is the same size as a fruit bat? <laughs> a, a child has has the same combat effectiveness as a fruit bat. Okay, that's fair. When considering what a being can lift or throw, use a standard human as a guide. An average human build zero could lift someone of equal build off the floor, perhaps carrying them over their shoulder. Something of a build one or smaller could be easily lifted, and a thing of two builds smaller could be thrown. So I could throw a child. And you know what? I have done. I have a child. I have thrown him. 
<laughs> so there you go. That's What's why dwarf tossing that? was no, a screw thing. context. <laughs> dwarf tossing was a thing for a reason. <laughs> Still is a thing depending on where you go in this country. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, with a, with strain, a human of build zero might just lift a person of build one. The most a person of build zero might do to a person of build two is to unbalance or disarm them. So yeah, if if, if I build zero were fighting, uh, Mike Tyson twenty years ago, fuck Mike Tyson even now, the best I could do was annoy him. That's the best I could do, uh, unless he was sleeping and I had a gun, and then I might win. I stress might. <laughs> but that, that that could happen is Usually he a heavy a sleeper guy. or a light sleeper yeah that that's important will he hear the 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 uh, trigger not the trigger but the uh talking uh, striker the... go back will he hear that i don't know maybe he will using this as a guide it becomes simple to figure the relative capability of a monster to lift and throw things for example whether a monster is large enough to throw a car okay th this is like i said it's not for people it's for monsters so let, let's say oh i don't know you are fighting, say, uh, da, 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 a night gaunt. Uh, they are one square. Your hat, so it's large human. It's gonna be build four. I'll just, I'll just say it's gonna be a build four. So a night gaunt could pick up and throw a human being because it's two levels or more below them. A human being could run full bore, full body tackle into a night gaunt. It might unbalance him for a second. That is a Andre the Giant level human. Not a regular human's a zero. A zero. A regular human can do nothing physical to a night gaunt where the night gaunt gives a crap. I'm going to fireman's carry that D-hole. No, you are not. Because the D-hole is this thing. Uh, It is 65. It's the same size as a battleship. I got it. Yeah, you, you got this. You got this. It's all good. Here's some more. Uh, remember, this is human on the scale. <laughs> all right. This is uh, uh, by a key. This is a, a minion, a servitor race that lives on a different star, which you can call through spells. So it's at, Dude, that it's Slender at least... Man thing, considering its size. Now, that's creepy. The Ithaqua. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that thing, thing is, if you consider its size and that Slender Man look, that is, okay, that's creepy. That would actually give me nightmares. Yeah. Well, all of this crap would give you nightmares, to be fair. I don't know, but that one stands out for me. That one stands out for you? Okay. Uh, here's a quick, re quick reference guide that explains the chart, basically. Playing monsters effectively. Monsters are, for the most part, not mindless animals. They're monsters, not beasts. Okay? They have at least very, very high predator intelligence. Many are of equal or greater intelligence than the investigators with motivations and concerns beyond the scope of the average human's understanding. They are from another plane of existence, another planet, another dimension, whatever. All of their wants, needs, and dreams are incomprehensible to you as a human being. So they may act in a way that you don't understand, and you as a human may decide that that means they're stupid. No, it doesn't. It means that what they're doing and how they're doing it, you don't get because you can't get it. That's it. You can't understand. 
When involved in combat, consider the monster's objective. If its aim is to kill the investigator, it should fight back rather than dodge. If it wants to escape from the investigators, it may choose to dodge in order to gain an opportunity to flee. Many Mythos monsters can use spells, casting them as any other spellcaster would. In some cases, a monster's spell may be portrayed as a manifestation of that monster's innate power. Again, you're, you as a human being cannot fully comprehend the monster in front of you. So when it casts a spell, say, uh, summon pillar of flame, a human being watching that, like, oh, it, it, can, it, can, it can throw fire out of its mouth or something. They're going to mistake that for some kind of innate ability like a dragon because human beings have to understand things by linking it to things they already know, which does not work in the Lovecraftian world because all of this crap is nothing like anything you already know, which is why you go insane. Monsters may not have skills listed, though most or all might have a few skills such as listen, stealth, and other things like that. Uh, Keepers should add skills as required using comparative beings as a guide. So here's the thing. They may not have skills, but monsters are smart. They can hide if they want to. So you as a keeper, you have to give them a hide skill. Or they may sneak. They may do these things in in uh, to further their goal, what they want to do. Even if the skill is not there, you get to give them a skill based on what, what you think they should have. You know, if it's a giant rock thing, sneaking is probably not going to be a forte, right? Hiding might be really easy depending on the environment. If you're in a quarry and you're you have a, you're fighting a monster that's made of rock, all he's got to do is kind of sit down and you're like, where'd he go? You're like, you know, stuff like that. So be aware of what, what it looks like and the environment you're in and you, it'll help you, uh, you know, get all kinds of skills. Monsters and investigators, a comparison. It is quite possible for the investigators to beat some monsters in combat. Against others, their only chance of survival is generally to flee or hide. Deep ones, biokeys, dimensional shamblers, fire vamp, fire vampires, that's it. Gas, ghouls, servants of Glocky, uh, Glaaki, Migo, Moonbeast, Nightgaunts, whatever. Uh, and of course, human cultists can be taken on in combat by several investigators. Oh, uh, Migo, don't like flamethrowers. You know, put that in the back of your head. You know, being made of all fungus. They don't like that. This is the reason that so many scenarios feature cultists, deep ones, Migo, and ghouls. They make approximately human-scale adversaries. Such mythos entities can, on first reflection, appear human-like in terms of their vulnerability and relative size. Yet beware of humanizing such monsters. As stated, their goals, knowledge, and abilities should be difficult, if not impossible, to fathom. They will act in unexpected ways, and the mere sight of them can draw madness upon the inquisitive. Yes, again, we are making sure that you understand. Yes, they're human size. They have some of them even have two arms, two legs, and a head. But that may be exactly where it stops. Their brain could be in their foot. Their genitals could be in their mouth. Who knows, man? Don't know. So make sure that your players, if you're a keeper, your players learn that the book cover book thing completely different cutting off their head is how they procreate there you go now you made two of them good job uh here's pronunciations please if you if you are if you are triggered by all of my bad pronunciations go ahead and throw in chat this this refer list. to page 280 <laughs> <laughs> refer to page 280 and uh and and tell me exactly how i'm not saying it right please combat 
By default, every monster, with a few exceptions, has the fighting skill, a generic combat skill covering all manner of strikes, kicks, claws, teeth, tentacles, whatever. If the being is able to use melee weapons, the fighting skill should be used for those as well. Be creative in how you use and portray these attacks. Each entry describes how the monster would normally attack and keywords, such as bite or kick, are provided to give the keeper ideas on how best to describe differing attacks. It's for flavor or to facilitate a power that the being has. For example, if the if the being has has a poison touch, a bite would very much likely inject poison into the target. While a monster standard attack could be used every time, this can become repetitive and dull, especially if the monster is considered intelligent. Using the damage listed for the monster's standard fighting attack frees the keeper from having to adjust the damage with each variation, allowing the keeper greater freedom to describe the monster's attacks in creative, imaginative ways. Okay, so here's the thing. Let's say you're fighting something that uh, is a blob of goo with 100 tentacles. At the end of each tentacle is a mouth, and it's covered in 5,000 eyes. Okay, so all it has is a fighting skill and damage for an attack. That means the damage is the same for a squeeze attack if you're wrapped in a tentacle, a bite attack for each tentacle. Or a gaze attack. Or or a gaze attack from an eye. It's the exact same attack, it's the exact same damage, but it gives variety and shock and awe value to the investigators, which is what you want. And it gives an example of that here. First attack, third attack, fourth attack, stuff like that. Monsters and maneuvers. Maneuvers, abbreviated strangely, use the monster's fighting skill. Build uh, build is an important factor for maneuvers. Like I said, you know, I, I said earlier something about a flying tackle. You don't want a flying tackle, say, uh, something the size of a battleship. It's just going to, you're just going to bounce off it and make yourself look like an idiot. If the opponent is three build points above that of an attacker, the man, a maneuver is ineffective. Any monster of build two or greater is never going to have penalty dice when using a maneuver against a human being. The largest opponent a human, build two, could take on with a maneuver would be build four, horse, elder thing, etc. Even then, the largest of humans would attack with a two penalty die due to the difference in build. Now, I don't like the idea of penalty die because the regular roll, hard roll, and and extreme difficulty roll pretty much sums it up after you hit extreme difficulty man everything's hard enough you don't need penalty dice on that point you know sorry it's just weird if you don't want him to do it just say no yeah just say you can't do it rather than you know make an extreme difficulty roll with two penalty dice just say no just say no in combat, monsters can use the same range of maneuvers open to humans and maybe and maybe different ones because they could have tentacles or whatever. Uh, visualize the monster and imagine how it might take advantage of its physical form in combat. If it has tentacles, hands, or pincers, it might seize hold of the opponent. If it has prominent mouth, then it might bite and hold onto its prey. You, you get the point. Depending on what it looks like and what possible uh, appendages it has at its disposal, you can now use those in specific maneuvers to debilitate, uh, to encapsulate, to uh, to strangulate. I love the eights. And here we here we have examples: knocking down investigator, pushing investigator, disarming investigator, and the list goes on. Monster spells. 
The higher a monster's power and intelligence, the more likely it is to know spells. As a guide, no, average guide, those with power and intelligence of 50 to 100 might know 1d6 spells. In choosing spells, consider the purpose and nature of the creature. Keepers are encouraged to manipulate and alter spells to better suit particular mythos monsters. For example, you have a Migo, and he wants to get back to his ship. In his hand, he's got a device. It's a tracking device for his ship. He doesn't want you guys to have it. You guys are attacking him. Okay. Uh, he has he has lots of devices and he has spells, but mainly his devices are going to be like a phaser for defense, but most of his spells are going to be evasion and escape. Let the me go go. That's probably a great idea, but if you want to capture the Migo ship, you're going to have to take the tracking device he has in his hand. So maybe you don't want to let him go. That's that's a, that's up to your investigators, man. Don't don't get in their way. If they want to kill themselves, let it happen. Just make <laughs> sure you describe it well. And the more intelligence and power a creature has, the more spells it's going to have as well. So remember that. 50 to 100, 1d6. 100 to 150, 2d6. Something like that. All right? And here's section one, Mythos Monsters. The Bayaki, the uh, winged, uh, the winged uh, little like uh, Drake things we saw earlier. The interstellar race often serves Haster the Unnameable and may be summoned to partake in rituals. Remember, there is a spell, Summon and Control Bayaki. Composed of conventional matter, they are vulnerable to ordinary weapons such as pistols. Dwelling in interstellar space, Bayaki do not have bases on Earth, but may be summoned to perform deeds or to serve as steeds, carrying their summoner through interstellar space. I don't recommend that, but hey, you know what? Whatever. Special powers. Flying. They can fly through space and carry a rider, though such riders need protection from vacuum because the Bayaki don't need that. They're born that way. Spells. Bayaki have a 40% chance of knowing 1d4 spells. Why? Because their intelligence and power are exactly average of 50. So instead of giving 1d6, they decide, eh, they're right on the edge. We'll give them 1d4. Such spells may relate to Haster and associated beings. So these spells are going to relate to their patron god and choose spells for them. You know, try to choose spells, spells for them that uh, fall along those lines. But Seriously, you as keeper, you can give many spells you want. You so really I, I forgot, but I thought human power levels were actually pretty low compared to like the other attributes and so forth. Yep. So what's what's average human power level? Uh, usually it's three uh, d six times five. So oh, is this still times five? Okay, for some reason I thought the power was lower. Yeah, between fifty and fifty five is going to be normal human power. Normal okay. human decks. That, that is mistaken. For some reason, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, I thought it was like between one and ten or something like that. No. I don't know why, but okay, my no. bad. In, intelligence is three d six plus three, and uh, something else was three d six plus three as well. Okay, and that's how you know that this book thinks that intelligence is a very important attribute. But they have strength of ninety and a size of ninety on average. The average by a key has these things which are close to the pinnacle of human uh, of human ability remember a human can have 18 times 5 in the in the beginning of their starting adventure which is going to be 95 
These guys on an average start off at 90. So they are very strong. Uh, and they have build of two, which means they have the build of the the pinnacle of, of human development. Andre the Giant build. Average magic points of 10. So oh, he was kind of broken. Is he really the pinnacle? Uh, move five for walking, 16 for flying. Average damage bonus is 1d6. Now remember, it's damage bonus. Their attacks, two attacks per round, fighting attacks. The bike may strike with claws or crash into its victim, delivering grievous wounds. Bite and hold. This is a maneuver. If the bite strikes home and the bike remains attached to the victim and begins to drain his or her blood. That's not good. Each round, the bike remains attached, including the first, including the first. The blood drain subtracts 3d10 points of strength from the victim until wow. death occurs at strength zero. Now remember, getting away from this thing, once it bites you, you have to use an action or somebody has to use an action to get it off you because if it's on you and for remember the entire it's big. The round, yeah, if it's on you for the entirety of the round, this happens. If you're alone and this thing bites you and you don't get away the first time, you're dead. Yeah, you're not now flicking you're a mosquito dead. off. No, you're, you're, a couple of you are trying to drag this thing. Yeah, yeah, trying to open its jaws, right? <clears throat> but you're going to lose 3d10 strengths at the end of round one. And uh, that means at the beginning of round two, you better be praying that you get into heaven someday, which is today. <laughs> that That's today. Today you get tested. Uh, unless the victim makes a successful strength roll, you're not getting out. That's great. Escaping death, let the victim rest and regain blood by transfusion as well. Add up to 1d10 plus 5 strength per day. A bike may hold only one victim at a time because it only has one mouth. Fighting, 55%. Bite and hold, damage 1d6 plus 3d10 strength. Of course, we know that. Uh, dodge, 33%. Can't dodge too well, but that's fine. Armor, two points of natural armor, which in this case, it, it's no, no different than Kevlar or whatever. It's no different. Armor is armor in this game. Sanity loss. Just for seeing it, if you make your sanity, it's one. If you don't, it's 1d6. Loss. Okay. That's a monster. All right. Let's try and find something else. Uh, let me see. Yummy. Mythos monsters. Deities of the mythos. This is a god. So one per session. Yeah, th this is this is uh, what you are trying to stop the cultists from summoning. This is that. If if this gets on the planet, if they if you don't stop the cultists from summoning, usually it's endgame. But let's figure let's figure it out. Although many of the alien races of the mythos are terrifying, they they are nothing before the might of the mythos gods. Immense creatures, barely within our scope of understanding all the more horrifying for the fact they do not care about the fate of humanity at all. You're ants to them. They don't care. It should also be noted that many deities have avatars. These are specific forms, sometimes with specific attributes, in which a portion of the god may appear. Cultists often worship avatars of gods rather than the gods themselves because they don't know any better. Gnarly is particularly well known for his thousand avatars. The term deity is used here to mean not only gods, but those with godlike powers, such as great Cthulhu himself. 
While Cthulhu is worshipped like a god, many believe him to be part of an alien race, though whether his brethren are like him or lesser beings is not clear. Those such as the Great Cthulhu may be referred to as Great Old Ones to distinguish them from actual gods as we generally understand them. But I want you to understand, I want you to understand that the difference between a Great Old One and a god is minuscule. It is inconsequential at the moment you see them. The difference doesn't matter. They'll kill you just the same. So let's find, let's find Cthulhu. Screw it. Yay. Cthulhu. Great Cthulhu. Here we go. That's him. Look at him. I, I, I always think his tentacles are a little longer, but whatever. Great Cthulhu's body form is not fixed. Oh, okay. He can warp and modify it at will, extending new limbs, retracting old ones, greatly increasing his wings area and reducing his body size to enable flight or elongating a single limb or tentacle to enable it to ride through yards of corridor. However, his overall shape is tied to the form described. Thus, he might expand or contract his wings, but he will never completely absorb them. All of his forms are recognizable as caricatures of him. He dwells in the corpse city of Black. I always get this wrong. Riley. I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know. I can't, I can't see it. It's yeah, small. that's okay. Sunken deep beneath the surface of the Pacific Ocean, he is in living death, basically like a torpor. But someday the city will rise and he will awaken. And there's the cult. You don't care about him. Let's see the stats. I want. To, I want to know. I want to know the stats. Here we go. I can arm wrestle him, right? Yeah, you can arm wrestle him just fine. His strength is only seven hundred. Sweet. Constitution 550, size 1050. <laughs> oh. 65 was a battleship. Oh, yeah. that was power. That no, no, no. Power. That, that was that was uh um that wasn't power, that was build. Build 65 okay. is a battleship. He's only build 22. Okay, okay. Yeah. Damage bonus of plus 21 d6. So if he flicked you with his comparative little tiny pinky tentacle, you would take a d4 plus 21 d6 damage. Great, great time to be alive. Great time. Want, want me to roll that? <laughs> no, I really don't. Uh, fighting attacks. Huge. He will stop, kick, and crush with his feet, clawed hands, and tentacles. He only has two attacks per round. <laughs> no, that's because he's so big. I mean, it's kind of like the whole Godzilla thing, you know? Like, Godzilla's <laughs> not that fast comparatively to us. A scoop attack. Each round, 1d3 investigators are scooped up in Cthulhu's flabby claws to die hideously. If Cthulhu were just emerging from a vast hole or if he were to stoop over, the investigators might also be attacked by his facial tentacles, which can grab four people per round and which can penetrate small openings. Fighting 100 percent. 100. Damage 1d6 plus 21d6. Now, this, this is why it's instant death. The scoop is an attack. And we all know the damage is the same. 1d6 plus 21, so 22d6. It is very unlikely an investigator, any investigator, will survive that initial hit. Because most people will die even if he rolled all ones. That's just the way it is, man. If Cthulhu hits you, you die. That's how it works. You don't like it? Man, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I'm joining the other team then. I'm going to help summon him because fighting him isn't an option. Oh, and Scoop, the damage is 1d3 investigators killed. They just assume <laughs> you're going to die. They assume you're going to die. 
armor, 21 points of trans-dimensional muck and muscle. Additionally, he regenerates six hit points per round. At zero hit points, Cthulhu bursts and dissolves into a disgusting, cloyingly greenish cloud, then immediately begins to reform. He needs 1d10 plus 10 minutes to regain full solidity again, and when he does, he has his full 160 hit points. So killing him only gives you 11 to 20 minutes of reprieve. Hope you have gas in the car. I hope you have some kind of uh, shop vac that can suck him up as he's reforming. I hope that helps. Spells. He knows hundreds of spells, but not summoned by Night Gaunt. <laughs> this, he knows so many spells, we're telling you what he doesn't have. Summoned by Night Gaunt and Contact Nodens, he might impart Contact Deep Ones or Contact Cthulhu via terrifying dreams if you decide to communicate with him through spells. Sanity loss. <laughs> if you gird yourself and are prepared, you lose 1d10 sanity. If you are not, you lose 1d100. So you could just give up your character. Just glancing in Cthulhu's, in Cthulhu's direction, then you give me your character sheet. There you go. That could easily happen to you. Okay, that's a god. Now, what about just regular old beasts? Beasts. These are just monsters. Just monsters that are there to make the investigators feel good by killing. Let's try zombies. <laughs> uh, zombie. Zombie. Okay, you're uh, not the oh. cranberries now. No, let's let's move on. No, no, we're gonna do beasts. So we're gonna do something else. Uh, vol, uh, condor. No, these are just animals. These are just animals. So I don't really care about that. You can you can find animals wherever you want. Uh, these are traditional horrors. Traditional horrors. These are these are monsters you are going to face. That most of them are non-intelligent or barely intelligent, and they're commonly used by cultists and and amateur summoners everywhere to <laughs> get the job done. Here's a go a mummy. Let's do a mummy. These are great. Mummies are awesome. Let's try them. These undead well, beings are similar to intelligent zombies. Some cults keep mummies in their temples as guardians. Like zombies, mummies must be hacked apart to make them cease action. Contrary to popular belief, many mummies lack bandage wrappings and can move relatively swiftly. Some mummies cannot naturally regenerate magic hit points. That means the, the person who summoned them has to infuse magic into them all the time. Let me guess. Blood. And you know what? It works for vampires. Life is transmitted in the blood. Life makes things go. A mummy has double its human strength. 1.5 times its original constitution, but two-thirds its original dex. Because of the bit bitumen and bandages frequently used to preserve them, fire is a particularly effective against Egyptian mummies. Damage is normal, however. The flames are more difficult to extinguish because... You know, they're they're covered in a flammable lacquer, basically. Mummies. Strength, 105. Con, 80. Size, 65. Dex, 35. Intelligence, 55. Power, 75. Magic points, 15. Average build, 2. Again, this is not because they're so much bigger than humans that they are the pinnacle of, of human, you know, build. It's just that they're denser and magic is fortifying their structure. So they act like a an Andre the Giant type character. Armor, two-point skin. Their, their skin is hardened. 
impaling weapons, stabbing weapons have little effect. It only does half damage to them because they don't care about their organs. Stabbing weapons are made to puncture organs and cause people to die. They're already dead and they don't care. Now, according to their stats, mummies should have 1d6 spells. But according to the description, it doesn't give you any spells. This is a general rule. Each keeper can work differently. If you want your mummy to have spells, your mummy can have spells. It's fine. Give them 1d6 spells. Cool. It's great. All right. We will look at one more. Oh, vampire. Here we go. A vampire. Everyone loves vampires, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, they they all glow in the sunlight, right? They're all like shiny. That's what I heard. Let's see. Every player will be interested in matching its wits with these bloodsuckers. However, stories about vampires and their powers are so conflicting and contradictory that the individual keeper must determine which vampire facts are true in play and which are merely legends. Here are some options. One, vampire cast no reflections. True or not? It's up to the keeper. Third bite from a vampire causes a character to die and become one of the undead. Is that true or not? Up to the keeper. And so on and so forth. But let's see about the stats. Special powers. Once physical attacks have exceeded its hit points, the vampire turns into smoke or mist at the end of the round, after which its hit points reach zero. Thereafter, regenerating hit points at the rate of one point per round. If, when at zero hit points, a stake is driven through its heart, the vampire is killed and reduced to ashes. So, you not only have to reduce it to zero hit points before stabbing it with a stake, if you're not quick enough and the end of the round happens, you lost your chance. It's going to come back and probably be pissed. But let's see. Strength 105. Above above human maximum starting strength. Okay, fine. Intelligence and power. Looks like it might have spells. Average damage bonus plus, plus 1d4. So it does d4 plus d4, 2d4. Average build one. So it's a, a built human, but, you know, not not uh heavyweight champion. Of the not world a mummy. Really. Not a mummy. Magic points 13. Species rate plus two at movement. So if you're a human, you move at movement rate 10. Because humans go at eight plus two is 10. If, it, if this is a vampire of another race, then you take their movement rate, add two. Attacks, only one. One. Vampires have the usual range of unarmed attacks open to the humanoid of whatever it is. Bite, depending on the style of your vampire, again, you have to choose, you know, what its bite actually does. The vampire may have to hold the victim to continue draining its victim's blood, or the act of biting may subdue the victim to the vampire's will. Either way, the vampire drains 1d10, I'm sorry, 2d10 strength in blood from the victim each round thereafter. Not including the first round, but each round after. Gaze. If the target fails an opposed power roll, the target is hypnotized and can be made to follow simple instructions. If these instructions are self-destructive at the start of the round, uh, the target player, the target's player may attempt an intelligence roll to snap out of it. But if it's not self-destructive, you can't. You are now the vampire's little bitch. Sorry. Fighting 50%, damage 1d4 plus damage bonus or weapon. Uh, bite 50%, 1d4 plus special, which is whatever you decided the bite does. Dodge 25, armor zero, but uh, it can reform after hit points are exceeded. 
like I said, you know, when you go to zero hit points at the end of that round, it will turn to smoke or mist and then start regenerating. Skills, charm, human psychology, track, and stealth. Sandy Law, zero, one D4 to be attacked one or one D three to witness a transformation. Now vampires made of humans pretty much look human. So you're not, you're not immediately going to lose sanity by looking at it. But once it does vampire stuff, then you're like, uh Oh, that's not right. Once it starts wearing pale makeup and eyeliner. No, no, that that's normal. That's normal. Human dumbassery. But uh, once it starts, you know, like uh, poofing into mist or or drinking someone's blood or stuff like that, then, yeah, we got a problem. You know, we got a problem. Now, it doesn't say it has any spells. Is it that does say spell? magic points, though. Oh, yeah. All, all things with power have magic points. Okay. But, again, its intelligence and power are above 50, which means, as the keeper, you can legitimately give it 1d6 spells. And that's fine. Absolutely fine. 100%. So let's figure out what else we want. And that is basically it. I'm not going to go into beasts because they're just bears and werewolves and lions and tigers and oh my. Oh my. Stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So that is it for what you are going to face. Now, remember, you as investigators who are listening, the keeper can alter these stats, alter their powers however they want. Now, you may cry foul if they alter it significantly and don't call it a different creature. And you, to the, for the most part, you'd be right. But vampire doesn't say vampires have magic spells. Yeah, but they have the intelligence and power for it, which means it's completely legit that they do. Well, here's also one other thing. I know that you have this book and you're going to try to memorize the monsters. So I'm going to change the monsters and yeah, it's going to do something different than what the, this is a guideline. So, yeah, that's the great part of mummies and vampires, which, which I talked about earlier. They you can give them any kind of lore powers you want. And in your world, that's correct. So if you're trying to prepare for all the possible vampire abilities, well, good luck, brother. That's all I got to tell you. So what do we have for chat? Okay. Not for the same reason, but I'm going to go backward again. Um, the, the reason why I'm doing this one first is twofold. Number one, this comment comes from Rumble. And hey, it's great that we can see Rumble chats, right? And I know you tested this a couple weeks ago, but it's happened again. We also got a $20. Which uh, we can't see. Which, 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 I, yeah, I can put up a normal chat. I can't put up the rumble rant. That seems backward to me. So, it seems uh, weird, yeah. so thank you, Patrioticus Tall. He said I didn't have to say this, but I don't care. He gave 20 bucks. I'm saying it anyway. Yeah, he but gets, uh, he gets what he gets. Yeah. So thank you for the $20. But also for, from Rumble, Star Trek Enterprise, I think, had a scene where the crew had diplomatic incident by eating in front of aliens because those aliens eat and defecate through the mouth. It was very offensive. I don't remember that one, but I don't remember every Enterprise I believe episode. It. I believe it. But uh, yeah. I mean, uh, again, uh, sometimes species are so different yeah. that understanding each other and coming to any kind of mutual uh, uh, understanding of the universe or your part in it is unable to happen. Too different. Lovely. My neighbors are playing music to the point where I hear the music louder than you. I don't hear it at all. Uh, that's good. Well, I have a noise gate, but still, okay. um, it's disconcerting for me what because, uh, wouldn't it be funny if he had a harmless herbivore that does nothing, but everyone dies from bad sanity check. Well, no, you can't die from losing sanity. 
You can go insane indefinitely or permanently, but you're not going to die. Well, okay, you could. You could go insane temporarily, turn around, start running, and run off a cliff. But it's not the monster's fault. He just he just looks like a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. He's a, he's a he's the equivalent of an outer space bunny. But you didn't know that because it's it, it, its form is incomprehensible to you, and so you went batshit crazy. It happens. And last one, uh, the Peter's Field Guide is great for showing your players some things and not worry about giving game stats away. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is either. The Peter's Field Guide is that a guide of uh, actual creatures or is that a guide of made up creatures or I don't know. What I responded with, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I have the S uh, some SCP books. Uh, security oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those SCP. things, man. <laughs> some I, of them I, are really, really Lovecraftian. Yeah, some are Lovecraftian, and some are just how do you beat this thing? <laughs> like, like I. If it sees you, you die. Okay. If it if you see it, you die. Okay. So uh, how do we beat this thing? You know. Well, that that that's the whole premise of the SCP is you don't yeah. beat it, you just lock it away and make sure it doesn't kill everybody. Right. Right. You know? But the the, the point being is like you can come up with some really really interesting uh, yes Cthulhu esque monsters from that stuff. Oh yes. All right. Um. Okay. Is that it? I am going to go AFK for a moment here. Okay. And I got one more, one more thing left. And, uh, but we are going to use that for next time. So everyone here subscribe. It's awesome. And, uh, next time, if you're, again, if you're watching this on Memorex, you got to wait, you got to wait a day or two, but we are now going to talk about scenarios. I'm not going to go through the example scenario here like, like you're going to run it. I'm just going to show you how it's built so you, as a keeper, can understand how to how to uh, give the, the players the information in, in a way that they'll understand. And you, as investigators, know what information is going to be given to help you navigate the world. There we go. Oh, it's a book in the form of a field guide filled with mythos creatures. Oh, cool. Okay. Kind of like some someone's uh, someone's notebook who ran into these things. So you don't have to worry about stats, just uh, physical descriptions. That's cool. I can dig that. Are you ready for your adventure stuff? Give me one sec. Okay. I should be filling this silence up with something, but I can't. I got nothing. Okay. Are right, you ready? Yep. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. And today we're going to look at how a scenario is constructed. So keepers can understand what information needs to be given to players, what information does it, and investigators understand the idea of what they're going to get and the manner in which they will receive information so they can complete the scenario 
and save the world. We welcome all people, regardless of background, belief, or identity, to play tabletop role-playing games. Let's engage our imaginations, pull a veil over reality, and immerse ourselves in fantastic worlds. Don't be a disruption at the table, and always remember, it's just a game. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national, nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. Join us Thursday and Saturday evenings on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth to watch Heathen Dog and his team of dirty casuals play multiplayer games for your mockery and enjoyment. Here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Stream, where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Please leave us a comment with your thoughts and experiences. If you enjoy our gaming content, please be sure to subscribe to Legion of Myth. All right. Oh, I now, can hear uh, you. Oh, good. Now... What, what what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go over this scenario. This is a scenario in the back of the book. This is the the sample adventure that uh, that good source book, good main books give you as a as your first adventure into the game. We're just going to look at the structure. All right, so this should be pretty fast. Is the structure pretty similar across pretty much any adventure you do with this? Not that you have to, but that it's a good formula. I have no idea. I've never oh. read it before. Okay. So all right, let's see here. Uh, okay, so it looks like a introduction starts off. Amidst the ancient trees takes place in the summer of night. So, okay, this is all for the keeper. Introduction is for the keeper. Background also probably for the keeper. Millennia ago, yeah, also for the keeper. This the the introduction and background looks like it is mainly for the keeper to start wrapping their his or her head around what the what precipitated the events that are going on now for the investigators uh talks about the the people that are involved that the time frame 1865 joseph turner and his gang of friends were conscripted in the union army turner and his gang fled to what would later become the green mountain national forest and in here well we had some problems and there's where the problem started and then it goes to recent events now, that's why the things that are happening now are happening. These are the things that, guess what, are happening now. So the, these are the things the investigators can readily find out. Summer 1925, obviously this is a 1920s thing. Diggers and surveyors working on the foundations for a new Somerset Reservoir found traces of an odd mineral deposit, the remains of a meteor that fell to Earth millennia ago, comprised of an unknown mineral. Ooh, dog. So it gives the entire uh, recent events stuff that the uh, the investigators can go to town, question people, and find things out quite easily enough. These are things that people have experienced or have documentation for that are recent and, and true as to, they, as to their knowledge, and the investigators can learn this. Now, uh, a, a tip for all keepers out there. If you're, if you're not running a scenario, a written scenario, then you probably won't have any handouts. Handouts are awesome for mm -hmm. Call of Cthulhu. Uh, pages of manuscripts, uh, uh, cutouts from newspapers, telegrams. book that you actually made from the skin of babies? 
yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing that in real life, but this, you can say it's made from this kind Authenticity of Authenticity is important, man. Authenticity is important, yes. Uh, handouts are important for the feel of the game. And it really, really helps the players I've seen. So then we have uh, Dramatis Persona. These are, these are the people that the investigators will likely run into and their basic motivations or drives. Timeline of events. This is important for the keeper to know because a lot of Call of Cthulhu is run just like Max runs his adventures. There is a timeline. Things happen at certain times, whether the investigators are ready or not. If you don't investigate properly or you fail a bunch of roles or you just go the wrong way, this happens on day zero. This happens on day one. This happens on day two. This happens on day three. So you as the keeper have an outline of everything that's going to happen and when it happens. And if you have a bought scenario, then this has already been vetted to make sure that the players can have the right information by the time these milestones happen. But you as a keeper, if you're making your own scenario, then you have to, you have to think about it. You have to make sure that the players can actually do something about these or are ready for them or can be ready for them. Don't screw that up. I've done that before. I I've, I've said by accident, Oh, I'll give the players 30 minutes to do this. <laughs> Only five minutes later, someone says, hey, wait a minute, this thing's 40 minutes away. Oh, whoops. So don't make those mistakes. Think ahead enough. Uh, making adventures on the fly is a little more difficult for Call of Cthulhu because timeline is probably pretty important. So bear in mind, day three, day four, it goes to what? Uh, it goes to day three. Investigator motivations. When running amidst the ancient trees as a standalone adventure, it is recommended the investigators have motivations to join the posse formed to track down Harris. Okay, so this is the hook. This is just the adventure hook. You have to hook at least one, hopefully two or more investigators into the adventure, into the scenario. Make them want to investigate. However you do that is up to you. It's up to you as keeper. You know what the investigators do. You know what the investigators are like. You've read the adventure. You know what it's for. How are you going to get them to give a crap? That's what an adventure hook is. Making the players give a crap. And we have some suggestion, uh, some uh, motivation suggestions. That's great. In a, in a uh, built adventure, getting that is awesome. Then it goes events happening starting day one read this aloud and we have the normal uh read aloud text this is the uh the just for you text just for the keeper text and the rest of it is uh background information you're going to need to know to to adjudicate properly uh scenario 10 begins at 10 a.m with the investigators uh, attending the uh, scenario begins at, briefing in the police station sheriff jenkins explain the background to what's happened Sydney Harris, these, these are the points that you want to make through conversation from the sheriff talking to the posse or the search party or whatever. By the way, that is an art form. Yes, these are the, this is the information 
that the sheriff has. Is he going to give it all freely through his monologuing speech? Maybe. Or you can make it harder. He may give two or three items here, the most important ones to go to day two, but the investigators can ask questions and maybe get more. Don't just read off the bullet points. Okay, no. he tells you that uh, Sidney Harris and his gang have kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, see, you don't want that. You, it, it, it takes them out of the moment. It takes them out of immersion. So give the two, three, or four most important salient details they require, but do it through the sheriff conversing with yeah. the group. And if the if the investigators ask questions, then you can give all the information if they ask the right questions or near enough to the right questions. All right. You, you, if, if they get close to asking the right question, you can say, Oh, that reminds me. And then the sheriff can give the information they almost correctly asked for. <laughs> you can do that. That's fine. That's hundred percent fine because it gives the, it gives the investigators wins. You want to give them wins. Keepers especially the little ones. It's the little wins that really bring players back even when the bad stuff happens. That's how that's how that's how human interaction works. You know, you you give the little things. Think of them for the little things every once in a while and it keeps your man or woman happy for the for the most part. Same it's psychology. There you go. And what do we have next? Uh, this is, again, this is just for the keeper. Day one, meeting the hunting party. This is uh, now, now, now you're going after these people who've kidnapped whomever. These are NPCs that are hopefully on your side. This is your posse. Now, are you in charge of them? Is one of them in charge of you? It depends on the hierarchy, pecking, pecking order of this particular town. I don't know. You know, if you as an investigator are a military officer or a federal agent, guess what? You would be in charge of this posse. So you would be giving orders to the NPCs. If the NPC is a sheriff and you're not a police of any kind, then the NPC deputy, uh, deputy sheriff, whatever, is going to be in charge of you. This is the introduction to those NPCs. And then we have the first night uh, moving through the forest. And then when they find a body. This is what happens when inevitably the posse is going to find this dead body. Now, is it going to be you? Is it going to be an NPC? Don't know. But if it's an NPC, they will call the investigators over to see. So you are going to get this information. Uh, pushing skill rolls in the forest. There's a special thing about the forest. Apparently it's, it's all magical and stuff. Uh, there is a truck involved. Posse stumbles across a trail of tire tracks that have cut through the forest floor. It's a clue. Okay, so it looks like so far we have a timeline of information. Not just events, but of information. Finding the body, finding tire tracks. This, these are clues, breadcrumbs for the investigators to follow to get to the end of the scenario. Then we have day two, the first kidnapper. Those succeeding uh, call for a hard spot hidden roll. Those succeeding catch a glint of light off of Eugene Clayton's rifle scope from his vantage point on a ridge up ahead. So if you don't make that hard roll, uh, you, you could be in, in for a little surprise. A bullet to the head, maybe. I don't know. 
Day two, this is the second night. What happens on the second night? Day three, moving through the forest again. Day three, the artist's camp. You found a body of the artist and it led you to this camp. Now, what information do you get from this place? Depending on how well you look, you get this level of information. How well you roll in spot hidden, how well you roll in, uh, in, uh, in uh, some kind of investigation skill, or sometimes you even can get them in a dream. That's entirely possible too. Remember, this is this is Cthulhu. Getting Never information from dreams, dreams, yeah, is not an uh, is not a strange thing. Well, it's a strange thing, but it's not strange for Lovecraft. You're, we even have a map here. Uh, we find Turner's cabin, find the hideout. So right now, this adventure seems to be set up as a trail of breadcrumbs. Now, the cool thing about this is, is you can find the body and you can find the artist's body and fail all your roles, get no information from it. Then you, then you find tire tracks. Oh crap. You fail to follow the tire tracks. Crap. All right. Well, then day three comes around and remember you are searching the forest in a methodical pattern. You are eventually going to find everything, but is it going to be in time? These clues are laid out so you can get ahead of the storyline, get ahead of the timeline. So you as investigators can, can get in, in front of what's going to happen and possibly help make, make it not happen, which is the end result. Uh, I think day three is our last day is the dig site. Uh, there's people at the dig site. This does not look inviting. This doesn't look good. I don't like that. So are they uh, still alive or are they just dead with screams on their face? They're dead with screams on their faces. That's not good. It's not good at all. Also, they're supposed not... to relax after you die. Yeah. Well, apparently if you die horribly, you don't even get peace in death. That's another nightmare. Uh, then it's possible that the uh, characters are trapped capturing the investigators. And these, this is how the investigators can escape. We're looking at dex rolls, stealth rolls, all kinds of ways the characters can escape. Now, here's the thing. You as the keeper should have read this word for word, cover to cover. So you should know exactly what's going on. So when the investigators inevitably think out of the box, you can give them alternate skills or stat rolls to escape, fight back, whatever. Remember, it's very flexible. You as the keeper have a lot of power to gauge what skill roles are required, what skill roles are needed, how hard, the, how hard the roles have to be, or can it just be a stat? It's up to you. A more cautious approach. Wise investigators may watch the site for a while and set up, get a better idea of what's going on. Some investigators will find the uh, those uh, those bodies that are on stakes and go, oh my God, we must rush in and get them down and figure out what's going on. But more cautious investigators go, whoa, 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 whoa. I see the dead bodies. I don't see who hung them up there. Let's get the binoculars out and check this mother out, right? So this is, if they have the more cautious approach, this is what they can find by investigating from afar. 
And now it talks about some of the non-player characters and conclusions stuff. Like now we've reached the end, right? No, I didn't go into what this uh, what this scenario was, but I just want to know how it was structured. So in the beginning, we have the background for the keeper. Then we have recent information. This is stuff the NPCs currently may know, and the investigators may find out easily enough. And then we have the timeline. No, I'm sorry. No, then 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 we have the uh, the hook, the hook the hook into the adventure. How is this? How are the investigators going to give a crap about doing this thing, searching for this body or for the murderers or whatever? And after the hook starts the timeline, things that happen at a certain amount of time that the players may or may not get ahead of. But at the end of the timeline, we all end up at the same place. The end of the adventure, hopefully, hopefully, unless the investigators have screwed up so many times, they're going to make it to the end. Now, are they going to be ready? Maybe, maybe not. That's up to them. But they got there. Are they going to be able to beat the big bad? Are they going to be able to save the girl? Are they going to be able to bring the perpetrators to justice or stop the summoning of whatever monstrous horror that the cultists want to bring out? Again, they're going to get hung up on hooks or, or are they going to get hung up on more hooks? We don't know. And then we have the conclusion. We have what happens if they win and what happens if the investigators lose. And then it's over. This non-player character stuff again is for the keeper. So you can properly flesh out the role play of NPCs. NPCs have their own motivations. This gives a minor bit of their motivations so that the keeper can role play them effectively. And then we have the stats of all the NPCs and of course the stats of any monsters or whatever that you are going to find like this beautiful little tentacle monster right here. The great old one. You probably don't want that. It gives the the page for his stats. And that's it. And this is another one. Oh, this Those is are uh, handouts. Yeah, these, these are handouts. These are your handouts. This is for you. This is for them. And then we have another one, Crimson Letters. This is another scenario. We're not going to go into that. So we know all of that. We know we have keeper background information, keeper recent information, the hook, the timeline, the, the possible interactions that the uh, investigators could have at the end, and the conclusion, whether they, uh, conclusions on what they win, conclusions that they lose. And we have all the NPC background information, so the uh, the game master can the, the keeper can run it properly, and then all their stats. Now remember, in here, it didn't specifically give handouts, but if you're in a search party, right, you are going to have this map. You're going to have that map, especially if you are the smart investigators that that come across this nonsense. And decide, no, ah, let's hang back. Eh, let's let's scout around a little bit, right? Then you're going to get this map right here. And maybe if you don't, all you're going to get is this picture. Again, you can cut and paste this, print it out, or give it as a PDF. Throw it up on the screen if you're if you're playing remotely. It keeps the investigators, it, no, it keeps the players immersed in their investigators' problems. That's what the handouts are for. If a handout possibly complicates the situation do not give it don't 
you don't need to throw roadblocks, artificial roadblocks in front of your players. You don't need to do that. Don't. You are not against the player. They're against the game. Not you. You're a neutral party. You're an arbiter. Remember that. Um, you missed my Friday live stream. That's changed now. Oh, it's changed now. I don't believe that. All right. <laughs> but that right there is, is, a a call of Cthulhu scenario and how the, this example, how it was structured. So you as a keeper, when you're, when you're running it and you as an investigator, when you're playing it, know what to expect and understand what you need to know and when you need to know it. So do we have any questions? Literally none. Literally none. Outstanding. Everyone understood. That's how I love it. That is the end of our Call of Cthulhu adventure, except, except if we have time today, I may show you my favorite Call of Cthulhu character generation software and how easy it is to make a character even in 7th edition. So look forward for that. Nope, we're, we're extending this segment. Because you have one oh, thing left to do. No, no, no. You, uh, you have one thing left to do. Oh, what's that? Give us your thoughts on 7E versus uh, oh, what okay, you normally okay. do, which is 5E. Okay, very, very cool. Okay. <clears throat> All right. couple things I like. The, uh, the skill rolls. At normal, hard, and extreme. I love that. I love that. Because you don't need to think about specific modifiers for rain or snow or darkness or whatever. Oh, it's minus this percentage for that. Oh, I'm going to give an arbitrary. No, there's no arbitrary nothing. If you're, if you're driving and you're stunt driving and it's raining, it's a hard difficulty. If you're stunt driving and it's snowing, it's a hard difficulty. If you're stunt driving and it's icy, it's an extreme difficulty. No other thinking is required by keeper or investigator. Divide by half, divide by five, which is already done on your character sheet. There's no math involved. You just get to roll. I love it. It, it speeds up gameplay. It makes, it, makes, uh, it makes all the difficulties easy to digest and understand for everyone involved. I'm a big fan. Bonus and penalty die. <laughs> I'm a big detractor of these things. Number one, you don't need it at all. It's unnecessary in the extreme. If, if you have an extreme difficulty skill roll, you're already at one-fifth of your skill roll. That means you're under 20% chance to win. Why do I also need to take the lowest of two dice in my tens place? That's stupid. Plus, the swing is huge. It is a huge swing between one and nine. It is between zero and nine. It's crazy. It's absolute bonkers. I never use it. I would never, ever use it. So, in, But the thing is, it's not optional. It is not an optional rule, which means I have to house rule it. I have to house rule it away. And I would. The other main difference from 5th edition to 7th edition is the usable luck. Luck is now, just like sanity and magic and hit points, an, an attribute that goes up and down depending on circumstance. You can spend luck to add percentage points to your rolls. I don't like that. Why don't I like it? Because I don't like the idea of of a character spending luck. You either lucky or you're not. That's it. I don't like it. But luckily, it is an optional rule. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. 
is an optional rule. So if I don't use it, I'm still doing rules as written in that area because it's optional. But other than that, it was very, very similar to fifth edition. Those, those were the big standouts. And you know what? I like it, except for the penalty and bonus dice, which I'm not going to use. I would switch to seventh edition. Easy. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to. I'm going to switch to seventh edition now. You, you right. got me. Another reason why is because going from fifth edition and changing it to seventh edition is ridiculously easy. Ridiculously easy. All you have to do is is divide your skills by half and divide and divide them by five. Write that down, and yeah, there you go. Attributes divide by half, divide by five. Write that down, and you're you're basically good to go from fifth to seventh at that point. It's great because I won't be using the usable luck. So the luck stat basically doesn't change, so it doesn't affect anything. So there you go. Bob's your uncle. I love it. There you go. I should have a heathen dog seal of approval. Here we go. Where, where is it? There. <laughs> heathen dog seal of approval right there. There it is. Bam. <laughs> Bam. There it is. The more you know. <laughs> do, 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 do. Well, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a more you know and, uh, and the G.I. Joe thing. Um, the more you know was the, yeah. was the Saturday morning special thing. And now the, we know. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah. So it's a, yes, it's a mixture of those two. Yeah. All right. One more time. Uh, please like, subscribe, and share. And join Heathen Dog in the new wave of 7th edition Call of Cthulhu. Or whatever. Now, you do realize that when, once I put up the subscribe button, Anyone watching on YouTube is going to click away, and they're not going to see that. You're going to have to you're going to have to edit that out if anyone's going to see it. Yeah. Okay. Then it. no one's going to see that. Then okay. they'll never know what your final verdict is when they make they'll the comment know. like, "Hey, uh, do you like Seventh Edition?" I'll be watch the video again. Give us more I watch did time. Watch the video. What? Give us more watch time. Uh, I mean, I know not everybody does this, but uh, if I see something like that and there's still like a third of the video left to go, I keep watching. I actually well, pay attention to a little bar at the bottom. Okay, a lot of people don't. Yeah, well, so. that's on them then. That's right. laziness. That's on you. <laughs> All right. All right, let me, uh, while you're getting ready, let me go and uh, use a little heathen dog's room. All right. Um, yeah, one of the things I actually wanted to mention, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the stream, but there was already a lot of commentary. There was, uh, for those who didn't get a chance to see it yesterday, uh, we played session, well, technically session is our second session, but the first one is session zero. Uh, we played our second session of, uh, is it the, somebody called it the Alabama Co Codex, and now I can't get that uh, out of my head. But uh, it was a Bears uh, Palladium Fantasy RPG game, and uh, it was a fun time again. Uh, some things happened. Um, we learned more about the characters. Uh, some of the characters are, are, we'll just say a little, little, uh, um, they want to fight things probably more than they should. No. <laughs> but no, it was actually uh, another really good session. Uh, we left, uh, for anybody who watched the session zero, we left the tournament area. And uh, we started to head in a direction. And the people that we pissed off at the tournament area predictably decided to come after us. We predict uh, predictably um, fumbled a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, and got pretty beat up by some beastmen. So there we go. But I'll leave it up to you to watch to see if anybody died and what condition we're in and where we are now.
So I have a new character image too. The, this one that because uh, I forgot to change it for this. Yeah, that 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 character right there is way too cool for my for my character. So uh, I'll have a new character image for the next time. That's actually a little bit more appropriate. So well, it was good stuff. Uh, so check that out. You know, I know a lot of people don't like live plays. I get it. I'm not really a big fan of them either. But if they are something you like and you really want to see a high quality one, go check out uh, Bear's channel. Uh, oh, I always forget the name of his channel now. Well, it's also on our channel. Sorry, Bear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's, it's on the Legion Myth channel. It's in the... Oh, uh, oh, 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 oh. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's awesome. Mainly because you're sitting right there. <laughs> well, you, well, here's the, here's the problem with that comment. All the people who are beating me up for more riffs, com, uh, more riffs over you, you're not going to get it now. No more riffs. Oh, that's sad. Because Max oh. doesn't do riffs. Don't say that. Don't say that sad things. <laughs> heathen dog heathen dog's taking over the deep dives that means uh all you're gonna get from me is a lot of year zero engine well, you stuff. are going to get at least one more because i got the the mongoose 2e traveler yep. that i'm going to do next week start next week and i i did this one first because i was familiar with call of cthulhu now this is going into something i'm completely not i've never played any edition of traveler ever for the record, I'm not a fan of it, but uh, it is the current version, so. I've never played it, so it'll be all 100% new to me. I want classic travel. So, uh, Violence solves everything, says no riffs, sweet. Oh, well, he's sure. he's played in fantasy, um, but even then, I don't have. <laughs> I, I'm after the bomb, and I can deal with the the Heroes Unlimited stuff because a lot of the after the bomb mixes in with the uh, Heroes Unlimited. But I was actually looking before the stream started. I thought I bought the Magic books. Though was it the two grimoires or whatever they've got for Magic? For some reason, I thought I ordered those or asked for them in a Christmas package, but I guess I didn't get them. The I only one I, I got the... is the Chaos Earth Magic, Magic one. I got that one. Yeah, I, I think I may have just put them on for the Christmas package, and you know they're they're surprise packages. So you know I got. Maybe, maybe not. That's the way it works. Um, the cover of Mongoose Two E similar to the original, or is that One E? I don't know. I but don't know to like be said, clear, oh, cool. he's also doing the 2022 update. Yeah, this is the updated version, the 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 newest version of Mongoose Traveler Two E. So there's that. It may be good, it may be bad, but it's fresh. Yeah. So as long as Freedom Dog doesn't forget about Thundercloud, <laughs> yeah, or Phase World, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I just the the problem with me doing an I could do a deep dive of riffs or one of the books, but you don't want to do a deep dive of a source book. That's weird. And I don't know enough about riffs lore to really understand the salient or important aspects of uh, of these uh, of these source but world books dimension books and so forth so you're just not going to get riffs from me even if i wanted to do them i know i couldn't do it the proper justice i'd read like a paragraph and then heathen dog would be like now what this means for everything i'd be like oh okay well, i learned something right? I yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh so yeah anywho all right let's uh so, hey i'm gonna remember this time ah swappy there it is there it is uh oh if i have to transfer that over there that over here and put the screen up and hope I don't lose audio again. Present. Arms. Okay, you can have that. I've got this. 
All right, for segment two today, I am going to look through Mutant Year Zero, Ad Astra. Um, I was completely mistaken about what this book was. But Max, you didn't read it beforehand? No, I just backed it because it's Mutant Year Zero, and I like Mutant Year Zero, and I want all the Mutant Year Zero stuff. So I thought that this was going to be, we'll call it an expansion to the game, similar to what Mutant Gen Lab Alpha was, similar to what Mutant Mechatron was, similar to what Mutant Elysium was. I was mistaken. No. This is a campaign setting that combines three, I mean, technically all four, but three of the four main games together. So let's take a look at this campaign setting here in just a moment. The best tabletop RPG groups follow these core values to respect the campaign setting, the game, and the people at the table. Refer to the URL in the video's description to donate to the charity we support, The Wounded Warrior Project. Sunday on Rumble and YouTube, we provide tabletop RPG game, system, and setting overviews. Then on Friday, a panel of guests editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. Thursdays and Saturdays are when Heathen Dog leads his Dirty Casuals video game squad on twitch.tv slash legionofmyth. Please like and share this video with your friends and on social media, and subscribe to Legion of Myth for more tabletop RPG content. Okay, things got. I cannot hear those things at all. All right. Uh, so, all right. So we're gonna start off. This is a nice cover for the book, and we're gonna scroll into. Down it looks to... a little more cartoony than I'm used to. The cover. Eh, eh, maybe a little bit. They're always kind of like this, but uh, this is a very comic book cartoony type thing. I think that this cover matches more of the interior art that you'd find in the other books instead of the exterior. Cause the exterior art was a little bit more photorealistic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for example, and I actually have these books out here. I know they're going to be small on the screen. So here, here's the, uh, the book that we're covering, right? You know, when I got the book, I was like, this thing's tiny. What the heck? What, what is this? Just space rules or something. I should have realized. So here's the gray death. This is another campaign setting. It's like the exact same size. I should have realized what it was, and maybe hardcover. I should. Yeah, yeah, they're hardcover. Uh, maybe, I probably should have actually read a little bit more. No, I just backed it because it's free league and it's being used. So I didn't pay as much attention to it. So I was like, "Oh, this is a campaign setting." So let's take a look at our campaign setting here. We're going to start off by going to page five. We're going to read just a little tiny uh, portion here. Where's page five? There's page five. Uh, I don't want to give out too many spoilers here, but uh, it says uh, Jotunheim was once a research station orbiting Earth. So now we know that uh, we're dealing with space. I mean, if Ad Astra didn't give it away for you. Before the Enclave War, the station brought together some of the planet's most talented scientists to perform experiments that could not be done on the surface. Who knows if that was legal reasons or... <laughs> it's like Wait, hey, space can... is maritime law. You know, right? that's how it works. <laughs> Uh, so after the Red Plague, if, if you don't remember what that is, go watch the Mutant Year Zero series. But after the Red Plague came the World War, from which the Enclaves and the Titan powers emerged. The greatest of these was Mimir. Now, if you remember, we had what... Um, oh, why do I all of a sudden blank on what the uh, Titan powers were? Uh, we had Elysium. We had Mimir. And which one? I'm, what was Mechatron 7? No, uh, Noatan, or whatever it was called. The one for the robots. So... Uh, yeah, this one goes into the one that isn't discussed a lot, which is uh, Mimir. 
I'm sure those names mean something. I just don't know what. Uh, their people sought refuge from the dying Earth. Remember, the Earth was falling apart, and they're like, oh, crap, we're in space. Let's stay here. Yeah, and from there, rocket ships set off into the solar system to Venus, Mars, the asteroid belt, and beyond. So the main premise of this uh, campaign is to take you into space. Now, there is a story involved with it. It is like a campaign setting. I would liken it to Coriolis. I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, where it can be as sandboxy or as railroady as you want, but there are things going on in space. So let's, uh, yeah, tensions grew with the other Titan powers, which resulted in the Enclave War. We kind of read that there. Uh, so stuck in space, though, Mimir's failed. Remember, all of the civilizations fa- or all of the Enclaves failed, right? Elysium was kind of still good to go, if you remember that one. But uh, the the Year Zero world, it's all mutated. You've got the rot. Everything's harsh. You're trying to build up the Ark. Uh, Paradise Valley for Gen Lab Alpha. Uh, the humans have gone. Like, what's going on here? You're basically in a, in a prison. Uh, Mechatron, remember, you're underwater and you got a dome that's about to crack, and robots plus water equals bad time. Mm-hmm. Well, here you're in space, but here's the difference. If you don't get supplies in space, what happens? Um, you die. Yeah. So, a cracked dome you could possibly repair or get away from, right? How do you get away from space? Right. So, uh, so these folks realized, uh oh, we got problems. So uh, they set up project. Okay, I'm not Swedish, sorry, but Asmagir. Hopefully, I said that right. Where they decided 18 cryo beds, because that's you know what they had to stop aging. Would re- uh, nine men, nine women would repopulate the Earth, and they're like, you know, we got to start somewhere. And that's, uh, that that's all they could do. The computer, Odin, it's called Odin. Uh, we'll call it friend computer for a minute. Went all <laughs> alpha complex and decided, you know what? The best mercy I can give you is to let you all die. Wow. That was, yeah. That's a hardcore realization there, friend computer. <laughs> right? And decided that, yeah, he, he, exactly, that humanity uh, would be better off not being around. It's just better for him. I mean, that's all it was. So there's a scientist. I'm not going to go through the names, but there's a scientist who was able to convince friend computer, I mean, Odin, to uh, let humanity find a new home. He's like, hey, man, he talked with the computer for a couple of days and said, look, give us a chance. We'll fly out to Jupiter. You know, there, there's some there's a space dock out there. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but there's a space dock out there. Let, let us start again. We want to get to Proxima Centauri, Alpha Centauri, somewhere close, and just start again. Friend computer's like, yeah, okay. Like, go go for it. Yeah, but I'm gonna kill everybody else. What's that? Well, yeah, pretty much. So they formed a group called the Odinites because, you know, they're the ones conversing with the computer uh, named Odin. Well, uh, Jotunheim, Jotunheim, whatever, Jotunheim, because I pronounce my J's, was on its last leg. And a, I don't understand this part. And maybe it's psychology and human nature, but only about half the population said, yeah, let's go out there. The other half is like, no, nah, we'll tough it out here. We'll be fine. Well, now, hang on, there there could be some merit to that thought, because with half your population leaving, all of the resources are now doubled. So yeah, and, and, and to be fair, nobody was in contact with the computer. Like this dude found the computer is like, oh, this is what's going on. OK, 
So it's not like the computer's telling everybody, hey, man, um, I'm just going to let you all fall apart. Life was slowly disintegrating around them, but they're like, yeah, we got time. We'll, we'll figure this out. We can make this you know, work first. Well, the uh, Odinites took uh, Jotunheim's core. And again, this is something I don't fully understand why, uh, but the Odinites took Jotunheim's core, which is the thing that kept Jotunheim in orbit. So, hey, we're going to take this with us when we go to Jupiter. So, uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to degrade. Your orbit's going to... Now, it wasn't like overnight. It took time. But yeah, the orbit's decaying and so forth. So, again, I asked, why did the people stay on Jotunheim? <laughs> like, I'd have been like, y'all leaving? Know. And you took the core? Yeah, they I'm going know. with you. They no, must no, not he, have known. No, they did know. He Because this guy actually gave an impassioned speech. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the stars. We're take. And other people are like, yeah, I'm going to hang out here. And and we're we're taking your automated support system with us. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but he was a dick anyway. That kind. Of. So, so yeah. the Odinites ended up forming factions. Now these would be heathen dog factions. Okay, let me oh. see, let me uh, see Esfagir. So that's the guy who uh, who decided to save humanity, but not save humanity. Okay, so we'll just leave it at that. I don't think there are any spoilers here. So they're the Odinites, which we've already mentioned, but they fractured into two. The Odinites were the old guard, the old ones. So they, they go to Jupiter. Now, mind you, there wasn't just like a ship waiting for them. They have to build this thing. There, there was a shipyard and some, uh, uh, some parts, I guess we'd say, so, you know, but they had to go to the other planets, and we are not going to talk about the other planets because they're adventure hooks there, but uh, go to Mercury to get this, go to Saturn to get that. Uh, you know, they had to piece That's this right, in together. Get fuel or water or whatever. Yeah, I right, right. Um, but then there's the other side, the younger ones. Well, they're called the refiners, and they're younger, more numerous, and they are mutants or robots. So Mutants or robots? Well, yes. Yeah, so using mutant year zero terms, the Odinites are like the humans from Elysium. They're pure human. The uh, the I keep calling reformers, not reformers. The uh, refiners are your mutant year zero, mutant Gen Lab Alpha, mutant Mechatron characters. Now how, they didn't get here from the surface. It's just that it just so happens that uh, in Jotunheim they had the same experiments. Or I'm the, not going to go into that because that is part of okay. uh, the or, history. Or the higher radiation of living outside yeah. of the atmosphere caused mutation. Blah blah blah, stuff like that. Things it could happen. Be Remember the the Enclave Wars took a little bit of time, um, sure. but uh, so the the Odinites. Okay, what the Odinites knew. Remember the Odinites said, "Hey, we got eighteen people, got nine chicks, nine dudes, and that's going to repopulate all of humanity, right?" Well, what the Odinites did not tell the refiners is like, "Hey, you guys aren't going." <laughs> <laughs> so the refiners are happily building this big ship, and they're like, "I can't wait." There's going to be a lottery. Just get to see who gets to go. And the Odinites are like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, lottery. You got it. Yep. <laughs> Keep building. And then it's like, uh, nope, and not at all. So it says here. Oh, okay, so um, that's generally bad. Again, there is more to it than that, but some of this is stuff that you are supposed to find out while playing. And I, and this is a campaign. If I had known this was a campaign setting, I probably wouldn't have covered this book today because I don't like to spoil campaign stuff. Uh, that's That's the... We'll call that the million foot overview because it's not even a 10,000 foot overview of what the history of this is. Well, you are now part of this process. 
of uh, building. I already forgot the name of the ship, and I should know it. But uh, uh, the name of the ship that they're putting together is it here? Do, 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 do. Uh, the oh, it is the Ad Astra. Okay, uh, putting that together because it you, the intent is to get to Proxima Centauri, just without you. All right, so let's look at what we can talk about that's going on. Because the main point of this, other than being a campaign, is that you're playing Mutant Year Zero in space, right? Sure. Now, there are no rules for space in Mutant Year Zero, Mutant Gen Lab Alpha, or Mutant Mechatron. So let's actually talk about the changes. Now you know what the adventure is about. And there are, look, this is thick. Well, it's a relatively thick book for an adventure. There's a lot of stuff to do. There'll be a whole ton of chapters I skip here right now. So there's a lot to this, a lot more than what I said, but let's find out what you can do there. So we're, we're going to just look at what's going on. This is the part I can tell you about what's happened in the solar system. So what was once a Titan power Mimir has long since broken down into factions scattered across the inner parts of the solar system. Here's a brief overview for more details. See chapter eight. Don't read chapter eight unless you're the game master, please. Mercury is the site of an ancient solar observatory where the descendants of scientists are still issuing solar storm warnings to the solar system. Like, eh. You got a job to do. Yeah. We've been doing it for a while. What else are you going to do? You're on Mercury. You're on Mercury, man. It's, it's, it's not like you can go outside. Get a suntan. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not getting any more uh, movies from Earth. You, you read all the books five times. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you've written you your own. Stupid Reader's Digest nonsense from 1984. You read that too. Three times. Even brought a couple old TV guides up there. Yeah, this is great. But it's over now. Now you just got to do your job. On a very special... No. Um, so, Venus. Floating in the upper atmosphere of Venus are the sky cruisers, zeppelins, riding the planet's powerful thermals. Death-defying expeditions make their way down through the boiling sulfuric acid of Venus atmos Venus's atmosphere to the withering heat of the surface to retrieve technology and other item items from Mimir's old mines. Good now, luck with that. bear in mind, the surface of Venus is hotter than Mercury. Yes. So, well, and that's not even the worst part. The worst part is the sulfuric acid and the pressure. Yeah, the, the, the atmosphere is so dense and heavy that the, the pressure of on the surface will, will crush a lot of craft. If I, I remember correctly, the longest-lived spacecraft that went to uh, Venus that, that uh, sent signals back was, I think, 45 seconds. It was a Russian or Soviet one. If I'm remembering correctly, it was 45 seconds. Somebody can fact check me on that. But, but that just tells you. And they were prepared for this. They're like, well, we know this thing's going to get crushed. So hopefully it lands and lasts a while. Yeah, 45 seconds later, it was done. Luna is the home to Moon Base Selene, which was once almost as bustling as Jotunheim itself. Its inhabitants now live in the iron grip of the robot Apex. Oh, geez. You have your robot overlords, baby. Man, which, we got friend computer, we got Apex. This is not it's not going great. Which has proclaimed itself Emperor of the Moon and Protector of the Sea of Tranquility and the five Lagrange points. Okay. I oh gone nutter butters. <laughs> it has gone nutter butters. But you have to love that title. What why why is every AI just a damn terminator waiting to happen? I don't get it. Because that's how we program them. We want them to do, we want them to make our lives into nothing but ease, which means that they have to think, which means they, well, become your emperor. Mars has been partially terraformed and populated by a specially developed type of human called the children of dust who can live in the thin atmosphere at the bottom of the Mariner Valley. 
A space elevator connects the surface of Mars to an orbiting spaceport. Hmm, sounds like there could be some fun adventures there, right? Oh, yeah. I will tell you no more. The asteroid belt. The asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter is littered with hundreds of old mining stations, transship transshipment ports, shipyards, and smugglers' dens. Some are abandoned, others are inhabited, including by pirates and wreckers. This is the expanse for you. Yep. Most notable among the space pirates is the Rust Fleet, a loosely organized fleet led by the pirate queen, pirate queen, Verica. Okay, Verica. There we go. The, uh, these are Reavers. Yeah. Constantly on the lookout for defenseless space stations to plunder. Now, where you guys are probably spending most of your time, unless you're actually on Jotunheim itself, in the upper layers of Jupiter's atmosphere, old refineries are floating in the hydrogen winds with the help of giant balloons. Hovering near one of these refineries is reference, that's the scientist guys, life project, the nearly completed starship Ad Astra. And finally, Saturn. Further on the solar system, there are fewer settlements, but on Saturn's largest moon, Titan, there's a distant gold rush for hydrocarbons in the methane lakes. With prospectors flying biplanes, oh, because why not, through the thick but cold atmosphere. All right. Okay. So that gives you a, a quick overview of what's going on. What about Neptune and, and Uranus? Well, I don't know. Too far out. It takes too long to get there and back. It's not cost-effective. Shut your hole. And... There you go, because in case you didn't know what the solar system looked like, that's it. It's to scale, by the way. That's where (laughs) Venus is. Right? 100% to scale. There you go. 100% (laughs) scale. That's right. All right. The situation. This is the last important thing I think I'm reading. Um, We're just going to look at the situation part. So the rocket from Earth arrives on Jotunheim and gives rise to new optimism. Was Dr. Ritzis right? Is it possible to live on the surface? There is a contingent. It's like, you know, maybe we could go back down to Earth. I think the Red Death may be over. Part of that depends on when you do this. The suggestion for the game is to do this after you complete the Mutant Year Zero core story. Okay. But you don't have to do that. Now, if you remember from us talking about Mutant Year Zero, is Eden real? Is Eden not real? Is it just a figment or is it just hope? Uh, maybe it's not Eden. Maybe it's this. You know, that's up to your uh, your uh, your table. Or it, this could be something that you completely do on the side. And there are ways to do both. Station Commander Sestri, I cannot read any of these damn names, sends a message that he hopes will reach the Eye of Odin. He asks them to return the core engine. Like, hey, um, we're, 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 fallen here can we have our thing back and he's like no uh we're break i can't please reset and that absolutely could be another uh depending maybe your character starting jotunheim and that's it's like please give us our thing no all right well we're gonna come take it you know and how do you do that or do you try to build a new one you join the pirates you join the pirates so you go uh, the message is intercepted on the Eye of Odin by a telegrapher, Derek 13, who confronts Rephraim with before escaping with Odin's circuits. So, Odin's the one that, uh, that's kind of keeping humanity uh, uh, peaceful. And now he's like, you know what? I'm going to open the guts out of Alpha Complex and let's just see what happens. Woo-hoo. And well, a hunt for... And then the hunt for Derek 13. Now you're like, you just gave away the premise. No, these are the overarching things that are giving away nothing important. And you do not have to do these things. I'm going to show you that in a little bit. Uh, Especially for- not all of them. 
Right. You pick and choose. You as the game master can pick and choose which ones you want to do. How how you, how you want your timeline to progress? There you go. Yes, exactly. A hunt for Derek 13, Odin, and the core engine begin stretching across half the solar system. Now, is that the main storyline? Yes. But did I just give away anything? No, there are lots of things going on the side. This book is small, but it is weirdly denser than I thought it was in terms of what you can do out there. And if you have an imaginative game master, you've, you've got how many seasons of The Expanse were there? Five or six. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I wouldn't do the same storyline, but you could easily have five or six seasons worth of stories in, in the same thing. You know, so. Uh, all right, let's not uh, we're not going to read any more of that. Uh, so page 15 we want to look at what are the campaign principles yeah i think you are right maybe the art was a little worse mm. so campaign principles space is dangerous okay okay but there are it's meant to be incorporated into the game you're not just flee free floating around space your ships are always falling apart you have to keep them going jotunheim's falling apart you're trying to build the ad astra what happens when you lose oxygen? What happens when something goes boom and you know in around the uh, uh, orbit of Jupiter? It's more dangerous out there than it is hanging out on Earth. Okay, you have the rot on Earth, but guess what? You kind of have the rot out in space as well, because people like to bring things with them. Your spaceship is your home. You're in a voluntary spacefarers. Why? Well, because people took your engine. <laughs> And it's either that or burn up. I mean, is that your campaign? My character just decides to burn up. Okay, that's weird. Uh, everything runs out and everything breaks. That is another thing. Uh, Heathen Dog covered death in space. It's not death in space. It's not that bad. But you can use some, by the way, another free league game. You can use some of those concepts from death in space here. Absolutely. That space is out to get you. In Rick and Morty terms, there's a flying snake in space that's going to bite you when you're outside your ship. Next time, stay in the ship. And without the core engine, all is lost. And it doesn't matter which side has it. The side without it loses. Yep. All right. So we're going to look at the new rules. We're skipping a lot. So this is page 15. We're going to page 101. You do not get to see the rest. And you're like, what are those weird characters? Well, guess what? Uh, that's a mutant human. That's probably a mutant human. And that's either a mutant animal or a human. I can't. I mean, it looks kind of bunny-ish, but at the same time, it looks really humanoid, too. So, um, so yes, you can have characters from Mutant Gen Lab Alpha, Mutant Year Zero, uh, Mutant Mechatron. And technically, you could have characters from Mutant Elysium here as well. They just don't fit in as directly. But you could absolutely do that. So first thing is you have movement in space. You, I'm not going to read these. You can pause it on the screen if you want to, but we just want to show what it gives you. Uh, you have weightlessness to deal with now. You have the vacuum of space to deal with now. Guess what you can't do in space? Breathe. Yeah. I heard that was the case. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, things, you know, once in motion like to stay in motion, right? So there's a new role of the pilot. So we'll take a look at that. Uh, very ugly. Uh, the talents are droner pilot flying. Face, I'll give it to you. What's that? Bit of a butterface. <laughs> yeah. uh, the talents that we need to worry about are droner pilot, a flying ace, and evasive maneuver. If you don't remember at character creation, you pick one of these. The, the skills still exist. There is a new skill. We'll look at it in a second. But the skill list is still the same. So you'd still pick your skills the same way. 
but now you get these three new talents. And remember, these talents belong only to the pilot. Nobody else can get them. So, uh, big dream gear. So what are the key abilities? The key attributes, sorry. It's agility. Remember, strength, agility, empathy, and wits. Mm -hmm. Wait, is that the Mutant Year Zero? Is that Forbidden Lands? Yeah, I forget. Either way, but it's agility, which makes sense because, you know, you can use agility. And your specialist skill is drive. We'll take a look at that in just a second. Um, it kind of talks about how you can use the attributes a little differently because you're in space. New things that you can jury rig. Remember, there was a list before that you could jury rig. Now, uh, now there's a new list. Uh, different things you can do with command. This really leads into Coriolis. I'm not going to deal with it now. But uh, if you if you saw our Coriolis videos, you're going to find that the space combat and or space yeah combat in this game is very similar. Just a couple of tweaks, but it's very similar to the Coriolis combat. It works. So why reinvent the wheel, right? Drive. You're driving a spaceship or a drone. I don't know why they call it driving a spaceship, but okay. <laughs> Uh, or a Mars car for that matter it's just a matter of pulling some levers and pushing some buttons anyone can do it badly but only pilots can do it well so the point is is like if you don't have a pilot you're not all dead if you're this guy guess what though you're probably dead um, so we're not going to read the, uh, I'm not going to go into the rules it's just important for you to know that these rules exist All right, new talents alright let's look at the new talents there are generic talents and there are pilot talents. Well, the free floater, you've learned to control your movements in the free fall and to not start tumbling. Because what happens if you start spinning in circle? You ever again, did you ever watch Futurama when Bender gets uh, launched out into space from the torpedo tube? He tries to slow himself down by throwing something, he goes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's not supposed to be a simulation, but it is supposed to represent that things in space are different. Somebody who grew up in space is going to be able to handle space a lot better than somebody who grew up on the ground. Right. So you have talents for this stuff. Motorhead now allows for the gearhead, which is a mutant year zero. Uh, uh, role. I keep forgetting the name of the character class. Role. Uh, but it now covers spaceships, robots, and more. So you, it's just saying, hey, yes, this stuff is added. There's no reason that a gearhead couldn't learn this stuff. That's his job. Drone pilot. Uh, you have a small hover drone that you can control remotely. Uh oh, you're a rigger. It's it's like having it's like having a pet, but again, they're not strong. The drone only has a strength of one, agility three, and wits of three. Okay, so it's not like it's gonna unbalance the game, but it's like playing the uh, the dog handler, or I thought there's one other pet class I'm not thinking of right now. I, I forget. And here are the abilities: the the drone can shoot, scan, infiltrate. Oh, it, it's um, it's very similar to drones from Mutant Mechatron. So it's not like these haven't been in the game before. They're just adding it to it. Flying Ace, you get plus one to all move or shoot rolls when operating a vehicle. Pretty good one. And Evasive Maneuver, you can shake pursuers. Attacks against you uh, are minus one. Now, uh, there are a couple of new mutations. Vacuum Hardened. Your skin is hardened to a vacuum, and your blood can hold many times more oxygen than that of other humans. You can be your own spacesuit. Wow. For how uh, one hour. That's real long time. Yes. You can resist one point of damage from rot. That's awesome, actually. And you can harden your skin. Each, MP and each mutation point spent eliminates one point of damage from a physical attack. You have natural armor. 
You still wow. have to spend the mutation points. And remember, what happens when you spend mutation points? Mutations are talent. They automatically work. But you could also have a mishap. Okay. Insect wings. Uh, this mutation, remember, insect wings is part of Mutant Year Zero. That This isn't new here, but it's saying, hey, this mutation cannot be used in a vacuum. Kill it. But you can stabilize for with one mutation point because they want to still make it somewhat useful. Kill it. Uh, climber, gyroscope. And then, hey, what happens if you don't have Mechatron? Because the book here actually uses the Mechatron uh, attributes. Okay, so it's not strength, agility, wits, empathy. It's servo, stability, processor, network. It just says, well, in case you don't have that. It really does recommend that you have GenLab Alpha and uh, Mechatron. Spaceships, it goes into space travel. Well, uh, again, if you watch the Coriolis video, uh, it's very similar to that. Spaceships now have hulls, sensors, engines, and life support systems. These are four attributes like strength, like agility, like wits, like empathy. Uh, they just uh, transfer over to the spaceship. And so now when you do something with your spaceships, you'll be rolling one or more of those uh, possibly together, depending on what you're doing with your, with your spaceship. Uh, we're not going to talk about physics because we don't care about real world physics. Here's uh, distances in the solar system. This is days. So if you want to go from Mercury to Mars, it's going to take you about 11 days to get there. Make sure you have plenty of Food, uh, water and all that stuff. Fuel. Yep. But there are also space events. Got to love space events, right? Space Dragon. So go ahead and just roll me uh, roll me uh, two, 2d6 uh, like you're rolling percentile dice. Okay. So we'll, we'll see. You have to take care of your ship. You have to take care of yourself. Add it together or two different numbers? Uh, two different numbers, like, like your own percentile dice. 64. Six, 64? Yeah. Oh, hey, you got a special. There's something in the cargo hold. Wow. Is it a little girl? Because that, that's usually the hook. The, the little girl stows away, but she also has a giant space monster psychically attached to her that starts killing the crew. I've seen that movie. I don't want it. Space that bitch. <laughs> there you go. Um, the GM chooses how and when the event occurs. But uh, yeah, any, anytime you do space flight, anytime you're not taking care of your ship or unable to take care of your ship, or anytime you roll, a, what's to say, a problem? There you go. And now I'm going to, the one last thing we're going to talk about here. Uh, 125 the solar system I'm not going to dive into it i just want to show you there's an entire section on the solar system a lot of adventure planet, ideas each, uh, of each human construction on or around that planet uh, i imagine there's also you know uh personalities controlling or vying for control or whatever right uh yes and uh, adventure hooks npcs and a lot more not directly given, but a lot more side missions. When I read through it, I was like, oh, I could turn that into an adventure. I could turn that into a side. I could tweak that and have the characters have a red herring to waste a couple of adventures. Man, I could get a year out of this book. <laughs> like, uh, so there, it gives you a lot of, uh, of ideas of what's going on in those places, who's there, and things that maybe the characters might want to consider as well. Like maybe you do want to live on Mercury for some odd reason. Okay, well, there are going to be some troubles with that, but I could get a good few adventures out of that. So the solar system is a big deal here. So ultimately, again, I'm not going to stop because I don't want you pausing and getting all the uh, all the all ideas. But yes, the info. Yeah. 
There are rumors of expeditions venturing even further out than Saturn. So look at that. More for you to do. That was the last thing I wanted you to see. Get this off the screen before you all read it. Get off the screen before... There we go. <laughs> I know somebody already paused. So that was a million foot overview. The point of me... To, I seriously, I seriously thought that this book was more like an expansion to the game, not a campaign setting. Like I said before, if I had known it was a campaign setting, I probably wouldn't have covered it because it's hard to do campaign settings without spoiling too much. I um, but I did like what it added to it. Is it worth the buy? I think it's actually, but I like the Grey Death, which is the other hardcover one. Now they have a bunch of softcover ones as well. They're like single adventures. I like the Grey Death. This is kind of the first um, combined Mutant Year Zero, Mutant Gen Lab Alpha, Mutant Mechatron, Mutant Elysium uh, campaign. I liked it better than the Grey Death, and I like the Grey Death, even though the art here is better. <laughs> All right. Yeah, fair enough. All right, we got some chat here. Uh, start from the beginning. Uh, Mimir, or Mimir, uh, was a figure in Norse mythology. He goes on to say that uh, he was a famous, he was an ice giant who was famous for having supernatural wisdom. So now we know why a corporation who yeah, thinks yeah. so highly of itself would think that's an awesome thing to do. Okay, everything that these guys do is going to be Nordic. I don't care. I don't, I don't need the encyclopedic answer. <laughs> but but everything these guys do is Nordic. Like at the, it's the the name Asgir, whatever it was called, is based on some sort of uh, Nordic myth as well. I understand. That. I just don't care. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But other viewers might. So mm -hmm. there you go. And then we have uh, Malachi going. Uh, you get out of space by landing on a planet. Yeah. You, you, this is early on when when you said that uh, <laughs> that you're like, hey, if the, if it cracks, what are you gonna do about space coming in? Well, nothing. You just die. Yeah. And the answer here is, we'll get onto a planet. Well, here's the thing. Unlike oh. on Earth. The fall is going to kill you. Yeah. That's well, it. And, and Jotunheim's fall into Earth is going to kill you. Yeah. It's, it's burning. A lot of it's already space. starting to burn up. Yeah. So it's you're in a bad way. Yeah. That, that's how it works. And that is going to be it. Okay. There we go. I, like I said, I knew once I read through it, I was like, well, I can do that in one segment. I don't know exactly how long that was, but I did in one segment. I wish I could tell you more, but no. I want you to play it. I want the game master to uh, to surprise you with with some of the stuff in here. I want you to meet the characters that are in here. I want you to meet the planets. And yes, it it is set up that you will go to every one of the planets probably more than once for various things that you want to do. And it's not just FedEx stuff. There are many things going on in the background. We read some of them off. You're trying to find the core. You're trying to convince Odin maybe not to kill you. Oh wait, somebody took Odin. Maybe you're trying to stop it. You're trying to hold. You know, trying to do the Atlas thing. Hey yo. Jotunheim, stay up, step there, step there. You know, there are a lot of things that are going on that uh, that are involved in here. And I think that if you like anything to do science fiction oriented with the Year Zero engine, you're going to have a fun time with that one. Cool. Well, yeah, so like, subscribe, share. Uh, let me know what you think of that overview. If you're like, you, you, you skipped a bunch of stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, if you think I could have covered something a little better, uh, just let me know. Uh, I, I have no problem. You know, like I said a uh, campaign setting is a little harder to do non-spoilery than than a source book is, and I was fully mistaken. I thought it was a source book, so hopefully you enjoyed. All right. All right. Um, <clears throat> before you do your thing, since we well, do no, have a little, do you want to? I mean, you're you're tired all the time because of COVID. So what? Do no, you I, we, we can do it. I'm not yawning anymore. Okay. Um, but I want to do something before then. So you can get that ready. Okay. 
This is something I wanted to do for a few weeks, and this is the first time we've really had time to do it. Just have to get it up. All right. Nope, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. All right, so what we're going to do, this is something I've wanted to do for a while. And I think we may have done it once, or maybe I did it on a Friday stream once. I don't know. I don't know. Is um, every week I try to put up, you know, Heathen Dog, you know, I ask him for a question or whatever, um, as far as quiz keep, question. Yeah, a quiz question to keep people engaged in the channel. You know, it's all, it's, it's honest. To be fair, yeah, I, I'm fishing for clicks. Let's, let's be honest. But we yeah. try to make it meaningful and fun as well. But uh, the other thing Audience that we do, engagement. what's that? Audience engagement. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. So the other thing that we do, though, or is we put up an image. Oh, can I not do it? Oh, do I have to do it that way? I do have to do it that way. Just put up an image and say, hey, caption this. And you guys come up with some interesting captions. And I've wanted to show them off for a while. But, uh, oh, that's interesting. It's not showing the right page now. Because it opened up a new tab. So share this tab instead. There we go. So... For last week's Heathen Dog one, I said, hey, you're an investigative reporter in a 1920s Call of Cthulhu setting. Caption this image. So, Heathen Dog, before you read any of them, I'd like you to caption this image. A little Cthulhu okay. blurb. If you are a 1920s investigative reporter. Okay. I can't zoom in anymore. All right. Um, well, this is this is interesting. I wonder what it says. Is that your caption? Yeah. Okay. Let's see what other people put. Why can't I zoom in on this? Okay, it's not letting me zoom in. That's lame. Um, that's really lame because it's really tiny on the screen. Uh, let me try one more thing. Can I do it? Oh, that didn't work at all. I thought there was a way I could click right to it. All right, well, uh, I'm just going to have to do it through the comments method, which sucks. Okay. Because you can't see the image then. Let's share, go back to this, share this, because I know. Wow, it's not letting me zoom in here. Oh, there we go. Jeepers creepers. Uh, all right. So maybe I shouldn't read all of these, but this is for the dude. He's looking at a book. You can see the blood stained. Uh, is it a pentagram? Now it's too small for me to see. But uh, you know, it's a, this investigator grabbed a big, thick book of evil, horrible, magical knowledge. And uh, so Josh Fleming says, dare I read the DEI hiring policies? <laughs> No, don't. Uh, Max, I don't care if it fits your 1920 scenario or not. I'm changing 2000. Okay, well, I'm not reading it then. Ha ha. <laughs> Thank you, Al. That's what you get, rule breaker. Yeah. <laughs> is it, Bane says, is this the religious text at the heart of the uh, cult of starry wisdom? What language is this? Opens the chest, found next. Wow, that's a... Oh, that, that's it's, a the, it's the trapehedron. Oh, how do you say that? The trapezohedron. There you go. Which heathen dog talked we about in his... In a, the, a couple of videos ago. Yep, we went over that. A heavy skittering is heard within the darkness surrounding the reporter. Background character was an investigative reporter who was found dead in the des a desecrated church housing the cult of starry wisdom with numerous cults texts surrounding the chest in the steeple. Why is it always a church? How and under what circumstance he died were not explained in the story, leaving an enigma. Right? Damn it, Martha, give me a cloth. The kids have been summoning again and got jam all over the book. <laughs> Honey, that's not jam. I like that one. That one was really good, yeah. That was a good one. 
Uh, Full Metal Dragon says, I found it! I finally found it! And this book holds the ultimate secret to the finest, best, lost of the world recipe to the best pizza ever made in history. And it's mine! He found the Dr. Pepper uh, uh, recipe. Yep, there it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, with this Hassenfold Economics Bible, I can survive for the next hundred years. I just need to contract with an eldritch horror. That's usually how you do it. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. Finally, finally, my birthright starts tonight. The stars are right. Open now the gates held shut by the silver key. Some Cthulhu word I can't pronounce. Uh, yep, more Cthulhu nonsense that just makes you go insane. Great Olin's welcome the new dawn. <laughs> wow. Well, what, he, he turned into the skid. You know what? Uh, in, when, when you are the investigative reporter and you write this as, you know, you're not the guy holding the book. That's some influence. That's some influence. Lord Mateus uh, says, is this a long forgotten tome that will melt my mind? Oh God, melt my mind. You know, I, I can only think of one thing now when anybody ever says melt, melt. You, you're in that riffs game, right? Spring. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Can it melt my mind? Why? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. Uh, okay. Anyway, in a long forgotten tome that will melt my mind as I witness unending vistas of horror and despair. Wait, what is it better not be oh, Candela. okay candela obscura that's uh that's a game out there now that people are just ripping a new butthole into oh wow okay um the cult has the cult has dug tunnels under the entire city okay i don't see how that matches the picture but okay hey, you know what thank you for your comment yes the manual for this computer is suspicious <laughs> well you were talking about technology alien artifacts it could actually be a manual for uh, uh was very well could could be a manual on on how to use the the uh the brain jar yeah there you go and finally i probably shouldn't read this one so i'll just let it sit on the screen that would be something i'd read in the friday stream not on the today stream yep, not on this one we're not doing that okay so now let's go to the other one we have one more so, but thank you for, I, I actually, I wish I could have done this. Some of the other ones that I posted had some really, really awesome ones. There's some good ones there as well. I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not looking for the snarkiest. I'm not looking for the longest. I'm just looking for people to have fun when, when they post those things. So I appreciate all the comments, but now let's look at this image first. So it took me a bit. It was hard to get uh, the uh, AI to really give me a gestalt hero. Because it wanted to do weird things. This is kind of the closest I could get. If you remember, the Gestalt hero is something that's made up of other Multiple things. things, either mental energy or physical bodies combined yeah. to form one entity. So, um, can't do million ants from Rick and Morty. So I did a uh, million dragonflies. Apparently, I don't. I, I just said make it bugs, roaches, uh, whatever. And this is what it came up with. So, what did you guys come up with for comments? Oh, I said, uh, name the superhero and tell me his three powers. I just figured that'd be a nice random uh, thing. So this guy calls him Swarm Lord. He controls insects and bugs. Okay. Winged flight and natural combat ability. All right. Okay. All of that makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, Nick Anderson says Superfly. <laughs> okay. That's good. Come on. You he, have to give it. Superfly. Superfly. He's super that's right. He should have three powers, but I'm, you know, Superfly is so awesome that He's that's three powers fly. in one. <laughs> yep. He, he uh, can go from the top rope and end people's lives. That's, that's, that's how it works. That's his yep. power. El says, nope. So, okay. <laughs> bugs. Nope. Nope. Well, that I'm would be bugs. in real life. If I saw that, I'd probably just That'd pass be, out. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, like, just ah! be like, nope. I'm out. Brain shut <laughs> off. 
So, uh, derivative worker says pollinator. Saving the world by Paul. Pollinating your flowers and trees. Powers. Insectual major, winged flight minor, and enhanced endurance minor. Okay. You you went first off, you 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 took a skid, and then you recovered with actual gameplay stuff for the powers, but pollinator, saving the world by (laughs) pollinating your flowers and trees. That's that's different. I didn't see that's, that coming. That's different. And just to, to be clear, I don't even care if people made up powers. I wasn't asking for powers out of the book. I just said make three powers. But yeah, I mean, if you can reference the book, even, even better for that. All right. Uh, so Nerdy Ogre says, all good names here. So I'm going to make his arch nemesis raid. Story behind that. Um, his main superpowers will be alert uh, or alt- I think he meant alter physical form poisonous gas. Yes. Creeping Doom, obviously a D&D player there. His name's sure, Creeping sure. Doom. Turned him into yeah. the villain. Okay, this one. Behemoth. Behemoth. Yeah. you did there. Yep, I have to give you that. But you didn't give powers, but hey, you know what? We at least got a name. That was, that was pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. The Swarm. At first, I was mad because the person used they in the singular. Then I just realized, well, wait a second. It's a whole bunch of bugs, right? Yeah, technically, it's a they. Yep, the swarm. I would say it still, but that's fine. Uh, they can control insects and able to turn into a swarm of insects. Further, more, uh, furthermore, immortal because you can just repopulate. Yeah, you just uh, you just absorb more insects into your gestalt, and you're back. I lost four hundred ants. I am now back to one million ants. And that was it. So uh, if we have time, like we did today, I hope to do this more. Obviously, our episodes have been going really long recently, so we haven't had the time to do this. So I make no promises, but I want to show I want to show off what you guys have typed in there. Now, whether we read them all in the future or just pick three or four or whatever, it'll depend on time, my mood, yada, yada. But I want to I do appreciate you guys, you know, taking the time to do that stuff. Now, why am I not showing the quiz? Because the quiz doesn't matter. The quiz is just something just to uh, again to put out there. There's no snarky comments. You click a button and you either got it right or wrong you know whatever so uh so there we go all right he nug you ready to do your last little thing okay now this is gonna be pretty easy we're just gonna share the screen here with the software that i like get cancel i want to move this up here thank you game appreciate it there and you can't see the pop-up Awesome. Okay, I gotta I gotta share yeah, the whole. You have to share, share by window, yeah. I gotta share the whole window now. Okay, all right. Let's try it again. Share screen, entire screen. Boom, boom. There we go. Hey, we got a pop up. There we go, pop up. Okay. So where so can what, they first? Where can they find this? Cannot read because I can't make this bigger. Yeah, I, I can't make this bigger. This is you have three choices for character creation in this software. The, uh, by the way, the, the software is buy a key, three point oh three. Do you have a link for it where people can get it? I do it? not have a link. I know I have a link, but I'm not going to give it because oh, okay. I don't know if this software is legal or not. I don't know if it's licensed by Cassium or, you're, or if someone's going to get in trouble. So I don't want to point the link to their home. On you the see character generators on a problem, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I don't want to do that. You can find it by by Google searching. I'm not going to lead you there, though, because I don't want to get in trouble. Bio key? No, uh, but bio key, j- just like the monster, B-Y-A. K H E E. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So we have three choices here for for your uh, for your characters time frame wise: eighteen nineties, nineteen twenties, and nineteen hundreds. So 
Max, which one do you want to do? I'm a modern guy, man. Give me, give me update. I want the most modern one, 1920s. Most was that modern one, one 1990s. Oh, I'm sorry. I've, th- I've heard 1890s for some reason. There is 1890, 1920, 1990. Oh, well, I, I still want 1990s. We're Delta okay, Greening this thing. 1990. Boom. I want technology. This is <laughs> uh, Call of Cthulhu 5.0. We're not doing that. We're going to edit it. Now we're going to view Vescare Tools. There we go. Uh, no, no. There is a way to set it up so you can decide which one do you want. Which edition? Yeah, which edition you okay. want. So I'm trying to find where to do that. Is it possible that you only downloaded the fifth edition? No, 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 oh, no, okay. no. I, I had to, I had to, I had to choose 5.0 in the program. So now, see, this is now, now we just got to figure out how to do it. So we're all going to learn together. Look at this. And by the way, this is members only stuff. You know, this isn't going to go public. Oh, good. So uh, you, you, you members are getting access to, to things that nobody else will. Okay, let's see what the options are. Uh, customize. Nope, that's not it. You know, it's funny because if we say, you know, screw it, we're not going to do it. Five seconds after the stream ends, a week, oh, found it. <laughs> found it. Ha ha. There it is. I found it. Oh, and this, this here gives the, you know, the guy's address. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Did you just dox somebody? <laughs> I didn't mean to. He doxed himself, son of a bitch. Oh my God, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All right. Are you kidding me? That's very sunshiny. It is. It is. Yes. It may makes you look like a tangerine. Yes, it does. I am a tangerine boy. And it always goes to my secondary monitor first for some reason. All right, uh, Cthulhu 5.0. It keeps giving me 5.0. And I don't like it. No, that's a regular sheet. We don't want that. Law Dog says, edit, then setup. Edit, then setup. Okay, thank you. Thank you, it, Jesus. Maybe he right. has this application, too. File, view, tools... Where's edit? Where's edit? Oh, I think he's guessing. I said edit them set up or preferences. <laughs> okay. He might not know. But I mean, it's a good idea. This is so Heathen Dog is going to release a video this week on how to do this. No, I'm not. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to give up and, and uh, uh, stay in the corner all week. That's what I'm oh. I don't know why it's only... I had to set it for 5.0. I remember that. And now I can't set it back? That's bananas crazy. Anyway, we're, we'll just do 5.0. Fuck it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> all right. We're going to do uh, Showful Wizard. It's weird that that character sheet looks much more familiar to me than... Yeah, because this is this is one that's familiar to me too. So that's what. Anyway, uh, you can random roll, and this is a random roll. All right. 
strength nine, con seven, dex 12, appearance seven, power nine. You don't like that? Okay. Reroll it again. Roll it again. Roll can it again. I get to, can I do a uh, uh, roll 3d6 reroll ones through fives? No, you, you can only do it. You can only roll rules as written, which is going to be 3d6 down the line uh, with, with uh, bonuses here and there, like education 20, you get bonuses for that. But this guy's skill points is 400 hobby points is 160. He's, he's pretty educated dude. Let, let's, let's see how, how well we do this one. Now select your occupation. There are, two dozen or so occupations here what do you want him to do remember he's are those educated. from the book yes those occupations okay yes now all all of this is either from the main book or from supplements so he's highly he's highly educated just say what you want him to be and i'll find the nearest one. Oh, i, I cannot read that oh that's that's yeah, I, that's why uh, i told okay. you to say. um just just go let's go with the professor you know because i want to study things and die i mean okay Professor, boom, there we go. Nice. Next. Okay, what are you a professor in? Select any two of the following skills. Anthropology, archaeology, astronomy, biology, chemistry, geology, history, medicine, natural history, or physics. History and archaeology, of course. History and archaeology. Okay. Now. Uh, please select the weapons, if any, your investigator owns. Now, this is 1990s, so pick a 1990s weapon. Something that you would either legally or illegally be allowed to have. Either one is fine. Uh, something simple. If I'm a professor, I'm not going to be a ninja, so I just uh, 9 mil. 9 millimeter automatic. There you go. Add to it. Boom. Done. Next, these are your occupational skills. You have 400 skill points to spend on all of these and only on these okay so i imagine archaeology is going to be one of them how sure. high do you want it up uh, to 98 up to 98 no no, no 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 up to 85 i think is the maximum here because you're a, your initial character but it, that that's up to the keeper i can go 98 i can go 85 i can go 75 but so i'm gonna go 85 are generally speaking all of those skills important um, all the, all of these are important to your lifestyle or job. Okay. I have 400 points to spend. How many skills are there there? One, two, three, four, five, six. No, I'm sorry. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven skills, but you can have several languages. Okay. Th th that's fine. I just wanted to kind of do a little bit of uh, stream math, so I'll get it all wrong. So 400 effectively divided by seven, that'd be about 50 eh, ish per. Okay. Um, in archeology span and. Yeah, I want I want archaeology and history to be at least yeah, you have we'll to have go at least 50 to be for to be professional. Yeah, well I want those to be 70. 70, okay. 70 and history you start with 20, so that's good. And okay. 70. All right, you have 280 points left. Now remember, your credit rating just, is just, your lifestyle. Because so I can't read what those rating, are. Just, just make just balance it out. Whatever, whatever's left in points, just balance it out. Okay. Uh, how much? It depends on how many languages you want to speak. Other languages besides English. English is given. No, I. I if I'm going to speak a language, it's going to be written on a, uh, on a, on a vase somewhere. So no. Okay, so it would be Egyptian. <laughs> I mean, okay. If you if you want me to be able to read, no Sumerian. <laughs> Let's see if they have Sumerian in here. Survey says, yes. If I'm going to summon Cthulhu, 
We're going oh, no, all Marduk and Tiamat on this thing. Hang on. Sumerian. There it is. Boom. All right. We're going to have that at uh, 40. Okay. Okay. Library use. We're going to have that at 50. Uh, credit rating. You are a picky bitch. We're going to have that at 70. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm an archaeologist. Left. I probably have no credit rating. <laughs> Persuade, 40. Psychology, 60. And you have 80 points left. Okay, well, oh, wow. guess what? You are... Bump those bad boys up by a few points. 98 in credit rating. All right. Uh, I must have found the Titanic because I'm telling you, archaeologists are poor bastards. Poor, dirt poor bastards, I know. Uh, we're going to get your persuade up to 67 and zero. There we are. Now okay. you know what I did with that book and what I wished for from Cthulhu. Yep. <laughs> okay. Allocate the hobby skills. You have 160 oh, Jesus. points in hobby skills. Now, these are all the other skills in the book. But you can also add to your professional skills we just did. No, I'll pick, up some, I'll pick up some hobbies. I, I, uh, I mean, since I'm a professor and I do archaeology, I'm sure on the side to relax, I do some art. Art, okay. Uh, I'm a little, bit of, a little bit of a painter. Painter, okay. Painting. In blood. Of course. We'll do 25. You're an amateur. Yeah, yeah. How about anthropology anthropology and archaeology kind of go hand I, hand. I know i see, i don't like anthropology but go ahead i know it makes sense i just I'll don't do like 20. people screw the people i just want the stuff i understand we'll do 20 all right uh astronomy bargain i'm scared of astronomy okay but all let's right. do it let's do it i'm an amateur astronomer you know what i read that one book one time and i think that out in space they're okay uh climb computer use well i have to yeah okay. how do i write all my reports uh, you're an operator, so we'll go 35. Conceal. Nah, I don't steal stuff. Dodge. Drive yeah. auto. Well, yeah, I probably have a little bit of drive. You you come with 20. That's probably enough. Okay. I mean, I'm Let's not a race car guy. Fast talk. You got a big persuade. Well, my with that credit rating, let's yeah. I mean, now we know how I'm getting my money. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, how much you want? You got 65 points left. Let's put a whole 35 in there. Okay, so we got a total of 40. All right. And we have fist punch at 50. Yeah. Uh is it? Yeah, 50. Uh let's see. Grapple 25, handgun 20. Oh, there we no, we're gonna up that a little bit. I'm not gonna fight anybody, but I'll shoot him. Let's let's add another 20 to that. Okay. That means you have 10 points left. Okay. Hide, jump, kick, law. Uh, listen, locksmith, martial I like art. Law. I like law. You like law? Okay, it starts with 5%. So that's you fine. Only get I, I don't know a lot, but that's fine. You know, I got an, I got an, here and there, I pick a little something up. Okay. There we go. Next. Uh, you you're investing steal in all the goods. Max Liao, sex, trans. All. <laughs> College degree. Uh, you have a PhD. I, well, okay, PhD. I'd say half be at least a master's, yeah. Birthplace, Arkham, Massachusetts, mental disorders, none. Yes. None to start. Oh. <laughs> none to start. And there's time for a portrait. You can either find one or make one your own, put the portrait in there, but we're not going to do that. Then we go. Uh, your new investigator is complete. You spent some time deciding your investigator's background. We will. Here it is. Max Liao. Can you zoom in on that? Five. Magic points, 11. Hit points, 10. Knowledge, 100. That's scary. 
is it possible very... to zoom in on that at all or no? Uh, no. If and I Law Dog said PDF, that there's a I'm drop out. down up there that says uh, Call of Cthulhu 5.0. Is that where you? He's wondering if that's where you change it. Yeah, we'll go in there in a second. Watch this, and it goes to NPC sheet, which is different. Yep. This is uh, this is for the keeper to make fast and dirty NPCs. It's completely different. So we will look at. Uh, let's see here. Where are you? I don't know why that character sheet looks familiar to me because I've never played Call of Cthulhu. I mean, unless the Stormbringer one was very similar to that. No, either. But no, it looks like there's no immediate way to make to okay. make it bigger. I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, this is now your character sheet. This is you. This is absolutely you. Uh, 71 in archaeology because everyone starts with a one. Uh, 100 in your own language, which I didn't, I forgot to type in English, but whatever. Uh, persuade 67. Psychology 60. History 70. Fast Talk 40, credit rating 98. Now, in, in the game, a credit rating 98 means you are a multi-millionaire. You have easily $10,000 a day in, in spending without even batting an eye. I'm going to take my private jet to Sumeria. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, with that kind of money, you have to be a black market items dealer. You have to be. There's no way you're just a regular professor and got this money. No, you dealt in black market, uh, you know, ancient relics and stuff. You've sold to the richest billionaires and trillionaires in the world. Yes, there are trillionaires in the world and they're all oil money. You've sold pieces to them under the table for buku bucks. You are not a good guy, but you are a very rich man. Which is awesome. I think that makes up for it. Flatly says, Dr. Jones, I need a loan. <laughs> no. Get out of your short round. Only Dr at, uh, only at 20% uh, compounded daily. There you go. But you can read Sumerian like, like no one's business. Good job. Yeah, you are, you are, uh, you're pretty specialized, but, uh, you're, you're good at what you do. I needed to be specialized to make all that money. <laughs> yeah. All that money, all that rich stuff. And you're strong enough for a damage bonus in a fist fight. You believe that? <laughs> wow. Hey, you know what? No, you you worked out. You didn't learn how to fight, but you worked out so so you would be more impressive when these bad guys met you. Because if you didn't look impressive, they would immediately shoot you in the head and, and roll you and stuff. Yeah, like I, got, that. I got to look good in a suit. I can't be exactly. There. Hey exactly. guys, you, how you, you doing? You got to have the right lines. Yep. Right. That, that's 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 the deal. So I get it. I get it. But that's how easy it is to make a character. Now in seventh edition, uh, I'll have to I'll have to figure out how to do it. Maybe we'll do it next week. I don't know. Probably not. But this is how easy it is to uh, to make a character in, in the Call of Duty using this software. It's good stuff. And like I said, if you want to adjust this to seventh edition all you have to do is multiply these things these size strength dex intelligence power appearance and constitution by five and then divide it in half divide by five again and then you'll have you'll have your your, your three stats along with your skills and you're done unless you want to use luck as a usable skill then you have to you have to keep luck points track of them like sanity points magic points and hit points but just like this so you can do it on the back of your character sheet that's fine and you start off with 55 luck points you can spend them you can gain them whatever you want if you want to use it it's fine but this is all you need to play fifth sixth and seventh edition and how many sanity points does that character have 55 huh because your power is 11 
So times by five, 55. Which is fine. That's fine. You know, you're above average. You're good. Actually, no, you're 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 at your high end of average. Eleven's the high end of average for power. So you're good. So yeah, that's it. Cool. All right. No, I think uh I think we're good for today then. Yes, we are. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh you know, maybe we can start doing some more extras like this. Uh I was talking about before. As we have time, I'm not gonna, you know, it's 4.15 my time. This is a good time to end the stream. I like this, you know, but we've recently been going past five. <laughs> That's yeah. not a good time to end because no, I have a lot of things to do now. Luckily I have tomorrow off, but uh you know, President's yeah. Day. Oh but, my uh, my uh my son has the entire week off because of midwinter break. It's crazy. Remember when we used to call it Easter break? That's when it happened at Easter, but now it doesn't. <laughs> Easter breaks one day. Oh. No, it's two days. It's two days. It's two days because uh, Good Friday is a is a is one, and Easter is another. So that's you get Monday and Friday off. I don't even think week. the school system where I'm from does that. I think I don't think they do any of that anymore. Oh, but uh, all right, let's put the thingy up here. I don't know what I'm putting up here. Oh, it's that one. There we go. All right, any final words of wisdom that you want to give the fine folks out there? Uh, oh. Just one thing. If you are a player in a call of a call of Cthulhu game, just remember that asking what you're asking questions as your investigator is the only way you get the most out of your keeper. You want as much information as possible, write it down, and together you can figure out if it fits or not. Ask the questions. Information is great. You can sort it out later but get as much information as possible. And for keepers, to help out your investigators, remember, you're, you're not against them. You don't want them to fail. To help out your keepers and to immerse them in the gameplay, have the handouts, telegrams, notes, newspaper clippings, uh, cover of book or whatever. Have that. It'll, it will harden the idea in their head that information is key because it is. <laughs> 